All right, let me make sure we we clean on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Okay, Facebook just opened up. Let's see. Okay, YouTube just opened up. All right, people. Salute Shop Talk Live. Shop Talk Live. Malika, what's going on? Rashid, Soul Shader. What's going on, people? Joe, Uncle Buck, salute to you. Uh, I don't know if it's Vita or Vita, but what's going on? Uncle Buck, we got in there. Ian, what's, what's happening, Ian? We got Craig and Ron, what's going on? Ah, there you go. Let me get him in here. All right, we got the Hood Scholar in here. Uh-huh. What's, up? What's, What's up? up? I was starting to wonder, man. I was like, I don't know if he, if the link was work, working for yeah. him. Okay. No, I got a new computer, and I was trying to get it set up on uh, for this joint. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So yeah, I'm going to set it up, while, but I, I'm going to use my phone just for the meantime. Okay, cool. Cool. So we're letting people come in. We got about 32 already. So as you come in, please. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, man, we it's gonna be share a that discussion. joint, share it. Yeah, please share it, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you can know when we go live. Um, let me see. I'm about to put some more information in the chat in a quick second. So this is this discussion ain't even got started yet, and I had people in the comment section just uh, <laughs> already frustrated, man. It was a trip. I wow. see Oh, yeah. You know, some of them came through uh, quite upset already, you know, um, wow. which is funny because we hadn't even talked about it yet. <laughs> you know, right. they, you they know, already you know. know. They already know, man. What's up, Sarah? Yeah. I see you in here. Yousef, Dark Side, what's going on? Let's see. EG, peace to all of y'all as you come in. Chris, Christopher, Eric. Darker Visions, what's going on? Um, so we're about to get going. Let me just uh, get one thing up in here real quick. You know, don't forget to support the show. Um, if you would, we would appreciate it. All right. So what'd you say? I just said the show is fire. Oh, man, it's about to be. <laughs> Uh, the joint so, y'all did. No, I'm saying the joint y'all do with um with Tommy and Zakia. Zakia, yeah. Zakia, yeah. Yeah, man. It's 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 always it's always a blessing to to get that kind of support coming through. Um, so it was we enjoyed that, man, and I'm glad to see people ch- tuned in. People are still watching it. So you know, the Onyx Report. We definitely appreciate the support. But as y'all know, uh, today we are dealing with a whole different subject, right? This is uh, the title of this is formally. So what's it really like to be the prize? Black men in the ivory tower speak. Now, this isn't the first time I've had a panel of PhDs, but this 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 is the first time we've addressed this particular subject. Um, So we're dealing particularly with what our experiences have been. Uh, what we've gone through, what kind of things, what kind of barriers and challenges we've had to overcome uh, from whichever location and what any of that actually means in regard to the prize. So what I'd like to do first is introduce 
uh, my panel, and I am going to start with uh, Dr. Ronald Neal. Now, everybody, you know, the Honest Report crew, we know who Dr. Ronald Neal is. He comes in <laughs> the rec shop every once in a while when he decides to bless the mic. But uh, you should check him on his Facebook page uh, because that's when he's setting fire to everything. So uh, Dr. Ronald Neal is associate professor, Department of the Study of Religions at Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem, PhD from Vanderbilt, you know, MDiv um, uh, from Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta. He is the uh, author of Democracy in 21st Century America, Race, Class, Religion and Region. Uh, and the upcoming, I believe, Beyond Death and Jail, Hip Hop, Religion, and Mass Incarceration. All right. We are also gifted with the presence of one Mr. Green Gorilla, the G with the PhD. Um, and if you haven't been checking his channel, you're missing out. So, you know, go to the go to the Green Gorilla channel on YouTube, subscribe. And he's already dropped a few videos that are pure fire, talking about a, a variety of different issues, especially as they relate to black men, gender, and uh, society. So check him out if you haven't already. Um, and we also have the Hood Scholar, um, also known as Dr. Travis Harris. Um, and he's, he uses the title Hood Scholar because he's from the hood. So he was fortunate enough to get a PhD. He's an Africana trained transdisciplinary scholar who focuses on black people. He has published in the areas of hip hop, religion, education, anthropology, history, race, and dispossession. He's passionate about getting all black people free, dismantling white supremacy, um, and making sure we don't forget about those from the bottom. So let me see. I think he just blinked out. I think he's coming in from his computer. Okay, there yeah, we go. There we yeah. go. So I just introduced you. Um, so we all on deck, and, and I want to start, uh, especially with this crew, uh, getting to a basic idea about what this notion of prize is, okay? Um, so starting with one C.J. King, who uh, I know a number of us have heard about in the last number of, uh, I think, weeks, actually, uh, where C.J. King himself, shout out to Victor for that support. Thank you. Um, C.J. King stood out after he got his, I believe he got his law degree, and he said, uh, he proclaimed in a, uh, 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 I think it was a, an Instagram post uh, that he was the prize. And he broke it down uh, in terms of uh, some of the data around black men, uh, accomplishment, graduation, status, employment. He listed it out. Uh, but that raised a furor, if you will. And all kinds of people were frustrated about his statements uh, and began to slam him and dismiss him and make all kinds of statements, both about him and black men in general. And so I thought this might be a good time to actually get brothers who uh, who have accomplished to kind of talk about their experiences. Um, but before we jump into the individual experiences, I wanted to get us on a on a platform at least to kind of say, kind of define what prize means. What did CJ mean? What do we understand being the prize to be? And uh, kind of at least getting on some some shared ground in that respect. Uh, so I want to I want to shoot this over to Dr. Neal first and uh, see if we can get a sense of what it means to be the prize. Yeah. Um, and let me say it's, it's, a, it's good to uh, to be uh, in fellowship with all you brothers and to be on this platform again with you, Dr. 
Dr. Johnson. Um, uh, you know, when I think about this uh, situation with, you know, C.J. King and this whole notion of the prize, um, for me, it it just represents um, a realization that um, you as a black man, particularly if you've um, reached a certain level of status uh, in the society, um, particularly in terms of education and even uh, professional accomplishment that, um, you know, you, you stand out. I mean, it's just clear. Um, C.J. King was, was correct. He was accurate in terms of um, contextualizing uh, his himself in relationship to the vast majority of black men in the United States. Um, we've been aware of those numbers uh, for decades, for generations, you know. And so, um, yeah, you know, being a prize um, does mark one as exceptional, as unique, as an anomaly, um, as an outlier in many respects, just in terms of, um, you know, of achievement, um, you know, and I think that what he did um, really is kind of consistent with, you know, uh, what black men do in other arenas in terms of sports and entertainment. Um, the rappers do it all the time. Uh, you know, you celebrate uh, your accomplishments. Um, you have no, uh, you know, sense of um, self, you know, deprecation with respect to where you are in the world. Um, we do it all the time. I mean, even professionally, you know, when I when I earned my PhD, um, I when I became a tenure professor, I celebrated. Um, I mean, everyone does it. White people do it. You know, it's 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 something that is um, pervasive, and so um, I just see it as just a, a marker of one's, you know, place in the world. And um, and it's something that everyone um, should do, you know, regardless of, you know, whether you're, you're, you're male or female, black or what have you, there's nothing wrong with um, seeing yourself in that capacity. So in a very broad way, um, you know, being an exception, um, being a, a, an outlier um, is really what, you know, what that prize uh, idea is all about. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's shoot it over uh, to the Green Gorilla. Holla at me. What do you think the prize notion means? Well, it means I, I think that you've overcome the odds. I mean, as we all know, uh, if you come from the hood, if you're a black man, uh, it's highly likely that you won't achieve any modicum of success in the U.S. society. I mean, one third of us uh either get felonies uh or we're, we're on probation a lot of us get killed i mean what the hood where i come from you know i've seen black men shoot each other i've seen family members shoot each other you know i've seen you know black men deal drugs i've dealt drugs myself you know at an earlier age and you know i've involved myself in some of the things that uh i should you know i shouldn't have been doing but I, you know it's just hard to escape the trap that's why they call it the trap and when you finally escape the trap and you achieve some modicum of success, you want to be celebrated for it. And you want to be perceived as someone who is capable of providing value as opposed to being someone who, uh, you know, is just nothing at all. Just, you're just another N-word, 
You know what I'm saying? I don't want to, you know, use uh, profanity on, on this broadcast, but it's like you want to be perceived as something more than just the average one of the new in You know, you want to be perceived as someone who can provide some utility to society. Now, hold on one second, brother. Look, first of all, whoever this Christian light person is, you're about to get blocked. But I'm going to let you know, my late wife was dark. So you can miss me with all of that. But that's the kind of shaming I'm talking about. You understand what I mean? This is the kind of shaming I'm talking about. Where, wherever you see brothers who are doing well, the first thing you notice is you, you, you immediately get people who come in uh, to dismiss them, to belittle them. So this person came in talking about, you know, we must be gay or we got, you know, whatever. It, it just this is the kind of this is the ridiculousness I'm talking about. But sorry to interrupt, man. That's that's I'm cleaning up the chat because it's just ridiculous. But go ahead, brother. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Uh, you know. Um, but I mean, the, the idea of being a prize is actually being or stepping into a position to where you're respected in a community. Right. Okay. That's, that's what being a prize to me uh, mm -hmm. symbolizes. You you've actually. You've defied the odds and you actually have stepped into an arena where you can be perceived as being someone who is a productive and a, a potentially lionized member of the community. That's what being surprised actually is to me. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hood Scholar, why don't you tell us something? How do you Yeah, I prize? mean, I first want to say I'm just honored to be here, yo. Like, what, what, what Ron and Green Gorilla already said is, is fire. I mean, that's so on point because Green, as you can tell by my name, I'm from the hood too. And like, it's a jungle out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like, and because of that jungle, it's like we, a lot of times, and I was talking about this before, like we internalize and we take in all these negative thoughts, right? So you think about it, as a kid, as a little boy, you told you ain't, and you told you ain't gonna be. Like right. I still remember um, when I was a, applying for, li listen to this, I was applying for college, right? And my high school teacher said, it's good you filling out this application because you're going to get practice filling out application. Wow. Mm -hmm. So let that sink in, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, yeah. I mean, I got a PhD now, so to literally yeah. go from like, like we know, like we know dudes who don't graduate high school. Yeah. So I'm like, what? And so, so I ain't gonna lie, yo. Sometimes I just like pinch myself, like, am I actually like, do I actually have a PhD? Like, is is this real? Like, so I mean, so that's that's what this language is trying to um communicate, like to be oppressed, like, like you said, like we have value because literally everything else in the world says that we don't have value. No, absolutely, absolutely. Look, I mean, my high school counselor, because I grew up in the Bay Area. So we moved around through, throughout San Jose. I have family in Oakland, East Palo Alto. I came up in a blue collar environment. You know what I mean? And um, our, so my high school counselor told us that community college was the same as Harvard. And, oh. and this is the direction he gave black, uh, mainly black men. Uh, yeah. So a lot of the brothers I went to school with, we went to community, they went to community college and they stayed five or six years. And many of them didn't ever get even the AA because you know, there wasn't a whole lot of direct support for him. Yeah. Um, so that was the kind of pre preparation we had. And so by the time I finished my doctorate, I wanted to teach at a state university, a teaching university, because that's where I went. 
and I wanted to help people like myself. Mm. So I, that's the kind of environment I came into. But the thing I noticed as far as the, the notion of the prize, it, it, the whole question of value is predicated on demand and availability, right? So if you have a high demand for highly accomplished black men in an environment where you know the, the structural barriers are such that there aren't as many as, as one thinks there should be, um, that would immediately suggest that the pool of successful black men you have are thus you know more value. At the, I mean, it's a simple kind of equation at the end of the day. And if we know anything about sexual marketplace value, which is something that was definitely popularized by like Rolo Tomasi, you see it in the works of the text Dataclysm, where they actually assess the dating patterns of people across the board in many of these dating sites, you find that black men actually come in just under white men in terms of desirability. Hmm. Despite that we have low employment, despite that we have you know high incarceration, despite all of these things that black men are barred with, what we find is that men in general are more valued the older they get, especially over the age of 35. But black men in particular. Now we come from a community, right, where 40% of us by household make 21,000 a year. So that's multiple incomes by household, Yeah. right? I think it's what, 60 uh, make about 38,000 a year. So the percentage of us that are over six figures is less than 5%. And, and, and six figures is really the low 100s. You know, it, anything above that, we're really overwhelmingly 90% of the time, especially when we talk about black millionaires, we're talking about baby boomers with a house and a pension, right? Which is a very, which is a dying population. So that said, when you have high earning, high accomplished, you know, highly accomplished black males, you know, it's already a small percent. I mean, I often tell a lot of the, the sisters I run across, many of y'all are competing for the same four guys in every city, if not less than four. And it's a small percentage based on the standards that we hear popularized. Six figure man, you know, six figure income, nine inch, whatever. You know, these kinds of standards are so ridiculous when you look at the human population that it would be isolating for any group. But for a group that comes out of Jim Crow, right, that comes out of high incarceration, that comes out of the drug wars of the 70s and 80s, it's even that much more a rarity because of these structural issues we've experienced. So black men are in a position, uh, at least uh, accomplished black men especially, are in a position to be lauded. And the reason I wanted to have this panel is because when I talk to successful black men, at least within the community, the question um, that they answer very freely with me is whether or not they've been treated as uh, being valuable. And that's kind of the question I want to pose with you guys at this point. You accomplished, you got your doctorates. What was your reception as far as being highly accomplished? Well, I'll um, say this. It's been a, it was a mixed bag uh, and it remains a mixed bag. Um, and that is, is that you have, if we're talking about black people, um, black communities, um, we have a population of black people um, who, value achievement who value the kind of um accomplishments that that mark all of us you know um master degrees um phds and the like law degrees uh and they respect that um but there's also another uh population of black people um because of a variety of reasons who don't really care 
who don't, um, you know, uh, affirm um, this notion of black male um, exceptionality. Okay, and, and in fact, um, you know, they have anti-black attitudes. You know, and so their their attitudes are not that different from how white people um, perceive us. You know, and so it's kind of like. And as I thought about this conversation, I thought about you know, you know, decades ago when Malcolm X was in these you know deep deeply ideological wars with black PhDs during the 1960s. Um, you know, he 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 said that you know what. What do white people call a um, uh, a Negro with a PhD? And what did he say? He said they they, he call, they call him a nigger. Okay. Absolutely. Now Malcolm X was talking about white people. Okay. Um, but that extends not just that's not just a limited to to white people. Black people have this sentiment sentiment as well. So okay, you a PhD, you a nigger with a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happens is there's this kind of niggerization yes. um, that we continue to deal with um, um, in our accomplishments, in uh, what we have done, you know, and again, as you said, you know, I come from, um, you know, single parent background, uh, lower, lower middle class, uh, you know, my mother was a nurse, um, I'm the first person in my family to have gone as far as I have in terms of education, you know, um, and uh, you know, so, so I, I still deal with you know those type of perceptions, you know, and uh, and even going into the market the marketplace, you know, with my first job, I my first you know job was uh, a teaching position I had at a uh, at a black college in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and uh, and I was there for for seven years, and uh, and in a, in a predominantly black context. And it was a mixed thing, you know. And so you had, again, like I said, on one level, there is this respect for education, uh, your status, and the like. But on the other hand, there is this complete kind of erasure. Okay, you still a nigger, and you need to, you know, recognize that, and don't think you don't think don't think that you're better than us, you know. So you so you have the kind of uppity thing that goes in, you know. So when you think about like Jim Crow, and what black men um, who were literate had to contend with during the age of Jim Crow, those who could read and write and who could articulate themselves, you know, the, the culture um, that surrounded them demanded that they dumb themselves down or they, they, they demanded that, you know, when they're in the presence of white people to not display, you know, their intelligence. And so you get that, you get that, um, you know, inside the black world, you get it outside the black world, you know, and, and I've, I've, I teach at a predominantly white institution right now, you know, and, and I've dealt with that also, you know, and so, um, you know, in a white context, you know, you're, you're in a situation where you are a, a, an anomaly for real, you know, because most, most of uh, my academic colleagues are, are female, they're white, they belong to other, other groups, you know, there's just a, there's a paucity of black men, you know, and you're teaching, and here's the thing, you're teaching students um, from various um, situations who've never had, you know, a, a black male stand before them right. and communicate knowledge and information. And all they've seen, are, you know, is popular culture. All they've seen are, are rappers, they've seen basketball players, they've seen football players. They watched Power. They've seen, you know, crime television with black people and all of that. And they right. watched the news. 
And so their images of black people are very, of black men are very narrow, okay? And so what happens is that, you know, you have to contend with all of the perceptions that are associated with the vast majority of us, you know? Even in the, even in, you know, the, your, um, uh, you know, demonstration of being uh, cut from a different cloth. It's not that you're better than anybody, but let's just be honest. You are an except. You are an exception. Let's just be honest. You, mm -hmm. you've had experiences that your run-of-the-mill black male has not had. Okay, and uh, and that's just those are just facts. But, um, but yeah, professionally, it's been a a, a mixed bag um, in in terms of how I have been received and, and continue to to deal with, um, um, you know, being an academic, a professor. All right. Well, it, I, I want to shout out uh, Unreasonable Man. Thanks for the, the super chat. Uh, BGS in the building. I uh, uh, appreciate you, you you coming in again, uh, as usual. So you're offering support. He's been supporting me and Green Gorilla and many others. Um, but absolutely. And, and I want to quickly point out we're talking about academic, you know, success. Of course, there are many different definitions. So you have black men that are highly accomplished in a variety of ways. Uh, and there are some overarching similarities in terms of that. But one of one, one of the similarities I want to get to is, you know, how we're also received, because this is what CJ King grappled with, how we're perceived by women, how we're perceived by, you know, in, within our community. So I do want us to also get to that. Uh, but also to mention, when we talk about college campuses, Black men tend to find themselves, at least in the black quarter of the campus, uh, to be in very small numbers. So whether you're talking about students, staff, or faculty, we tend to be in the minority, right? Across the country, there's only a few thousand black men with doctorates and tenured positions. And I want to categorize that. So across 45 or 43 odd million black folk across the entire country, there's only less than, I want to say less than, I think it's between four and 6,000 black men with tenured positions. In, an, in the in the academy, so I just want to put that into context as we continue this dialogue. But uh, who else wants to give us an understanding of I, what they've been through? I can jump in. I um I still remember posting on Facebook that like basically, damn, like nothing hasn't changed since I got a PhD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, so just to echo what what Ron said, um, man, I got I got. I dealt with, I got all of it, right? So on the good side, cause I'm still, like I'm still in my, I still go back to my hood in Richmond. I still keep in contact with my folks from the hood and um everybody and like my family folk, folks and people just going through everyday life. And I want to share this story. One of my homies was like, look Travis, um, I told my son, I said, look at, look at, look at Travis. If Travis can get a PhD, you can too. And this is his, my homie right here in Williamsburg. He got a, uh, a son who's in 10th grade. And I just, I just want to put that out there because, yo, that meant more to me than anything, right? Because it's like, this is saying that the next generation of young men, I can be an example to them of the possibilities. So mm -hmm. on, on, on the positive side, I got that. On the negative side, man, in the academy, I'm treated like I'm dumb, like like I don't even have a PhD. Mm -hmm. And I think we might get to this later in the story about my specific example, but like, it's like, it, I literally have, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you another example. Um, When I first started teaching, right, the counselor 
the student, the counselor who's assigned to students for the um for my department, actually she she has like a master's degree. She literally tried to critique my syllabus. Wow. I'm like, you you haven't even you're not even in a PhD program. You never taught a, a class before, but you could tell me how to fix my syllabus. Mm -hmm. So that's just I just provide that example like. Like, what are we doing here? Where yeah. that uh, someone who doesn't even have a PhD can tell me how to do a syllabus? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've known, uh, you know, women that had a high school diploma, but wanted to, you know, constantly try and debate, constantly try and, you know, position themselves uh, to compete with me. All kinds of different dynamics, sim simply based on the the response to uh, brother with a doctorate. But Green Gorilla, go ahead and jump in on here. Yeah, in terms of uh, accomplishment and how other people perceive it, you know, uh, my friends have always been my friends. None of that has changed. And I've always taken the tack that, uh, you know, I might read a lot and I might spend a lot of time in the library. But I know one thing about me and I know one thing about them. We come from the same place and we have the same experiences. And when people look at us, they don't see doctorates. Cause we don't have them, you know, branded on our foreheads. PhD. Talk green. Talk green. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you know, when you walk and traverse, the, you know, the block, you just another nigga on the block. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and right. I mean, of course, there are, you know, your friends are going to absorb what you know, because I mean, you're you're in their sphere of influence, and so yeah. you know, I always try to, you know, be humble and never uh, put on airs or comport as if I'm better than the people from, from, from which I, you know, I came. Right. Uh, but, but I mean, in terms of, uh, what, what the first thing I don't do is just announce or, or structure people with, well, I'm this, I have a PhD affixed, you know, to my name so yeah. that I could, you know, humiliate you or to, you know, make it seem as if somehow I am better than you in virtue of the fact that I have this level of education. Mm -hmm. I, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to be perceived as someone who is looking to humiliate someone. And sometimes people get taken aback by the fact that you have a degree like this. And then they start to think, okay, well, he must be ignorant and arrogant and he must be pretentious and egotistical. Mm -hmm. It's in virtue of the fact that he has this type of degree. So what type of guy is this? I mean, because it's, I mean, let's face it, it's weird. It's, it's anomalous. As it Dr. Neal has said, and, the hood scholar has said this is something that most people don't get. And sometimes people get, uh, you know, intimidated by the fact that you have this kind of degree and they'll say things that, you know, try to put you back in your place and to let you know you, you might think just like Ronald Neal said, you, you, you educated, but you're educated nigga. Right. That's what you are. So don't, don't let your, your title uh, become, a placeholder for who you really actually are at, at the yeah. base and most rudimentary level. Right. You're, still, you're still a nigga. Yeah. So, right. so it's, a, it's a mixed bag. It, it is a mixed bag. Um, I just, you know, the only thing I've ever tried to do was to try to reach students. I, I haven't had too many bad or terrible experiences with uh, administrators Unless you know, you know, I got in trouble with some shit like that. But I mean, <laughs> but, but but I mean, but. The students need to see us because yeah. the presentation that, you know, like the, the, the images that they receive are, are thugs. 
and, and boosters and ballers. You know, uh, we're more than that. You know, our, mm-hmm. our, our range is dynamic. And so, uh, you know, we need to, uh, we need our presence. We need our presence to be felt. Well, I want to start by quickly saying a shout out to Griot, George, Crip Hop Nation, 2PC, and Big Poke Dog for the support. Um, also, we got 237 people watching. So let's go ahead and get the likes up. Uh, you know, if you're on YouTube, uh, support the show. Um, but I do want us to get to our particular stories at, at, in, in a moment in terms of what we've been through that really frame how we're perceived, both by the academy and, you know, it, within our community. Shout out to Eric Hudson. Appreciate the support. Uh, but before we do that, some of the questions that I use to advertise the show, I definitely want to get answered. Shout out to Anwar as well for the support. Uh, first question is, all right, so you guys are, you know, accomplished black men. You have doctorates, you're professors. Um, let's start with the basics. What, how would you characterize the relationships you've had since, re- since receiving your doctorate? Let's, let's do it that way. You're talking about with women? Romantic relationships, romantic, intimate relationships, right? Okay, I, I will characterize it like this: I'm a, I'm a single man. Mm-hmm. I'm a bachelor. Um, I'm I'm 46 years old, going on 47. Uh, I I am single by choice. It's deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose not to get married when I was in school um, because I saw too many disasters in terms of black men who attempted to um, go up the academic ladder, educational ladder with their wives and uh, the demand of being a husband, the the financial and psychological demands, uh, the need for status with their mates or what have you, totally obliterated their relationships. Also, um, just personally, um, you you know, dating and being in relationships uh, and trying to go up the ladder, you know, has not been a very easy thing to balance. You know, the academic world, you know, it's, it's Darwinistic. Uh, the demands are rigorous. It takes a lot of time. And if you are married to your profession, it's very difficult to be, you know, uh, simultaneously, you know, deeply invested in someone else. And so for that reason, um, hell, I'm, I'm a single man with no, with, with no kids. Um, but the relationships have been a, have been a mixed bag. They've, they've been, you know, uh, going back to our, you know, the, the earlier sentiments about um, where whether we're valued or not. Um, you know, I've been in situations with women, professional women, um, who respected, um, you know, the 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 the, the accomplishment. Uh, and I've been in situations with women who didn't, who had who had no respect for it whatsoever. You know, uh, I've been involved uh, with working class women. You know, I've dated the spectrum. You know. And it's just been a complete mixed bag um, because you have to negotiate entitlement. You have to negotiate uh, the demands. You know, you have to negotiate uh, people's need for time, attention, uh, that sort of thing to be pedestalized. Um, you know, and when you're when you are on a particular type of you know career trajectory, that's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's no incentive to do that. Um, if the, you know, the investment on the other part is not, you know, if it's not mutual, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, it, it, the idea that, you know, we have a passport, the idea that women just flock to us and fall all over us, uh, 
you know, um, it's like with 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 C.J. King. I mean, that just gives you an indication in terms of the responses that he received um, from uh, women, from the publications, Black women's publications. That just gives you a little window into what he is going to contend with um, as he attempts to to navigate the dating market, because he's not going to. I'm going to say this: he he's going to encounter, uh, you know people, women in particular, who will have some value for him and his accomplishments, but you're going to have others who don't care and they're going to treat him like, like he's no different from anybody else. He's going to be niggerized. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I've been niggerized in relationships um, mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, treated, you know, respectfully uh, and valued, um, um, you know, for, you know, being an accomplished person. So, yeah, the, 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 the dating part and all of that, um, it's been... You know, it's been a complete, you know, mixture of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who wants to jump in? Yeah, I'll jump in. My uh, experience with dating women have been, like, uh, varied as well. Um, some women respect you and have a uh, peaceable nature and uh, kind of get a kick off of uh, being hooked up with, you know, someone who has a Ph.D., attached to, you know, their name. And then there are other people who, you know, are envious of that and uh, deprecating towards you and will tell you that, you know, because you have this degree doesn't really mean anything. I mean, you study, but I mean, you're studying. It's just theoretical and, you know, you don't know anything any more than anyone else. So it, it's just like a reduction to subjectivism. Like your accomplishment really isn't that, that, uh, that meaningful. It's not really that substantive. Mm -hmm. and, so, uh, and I've had women who, you know, have told me, you know, look, you you think you're you know so much, but you don't really know anything at all. All you are is just another, you know, you just another nigga. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it, you don't expect that kind of uh, sentiment to come from somebody you're partnered with. But oftentimes you get that kind of, uh, you know, you get that kind of feedback, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of that 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 ugly love. <laughs> if that love, love. <laughs> you get that love at all, you know. Um, the last relationship I had was really rough, you know. I put mm -hmm. a lot of eggs into that basket, and then uh, it turned around and bit me in the behind. Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, ultimately, man, you, you know, I remember uh, my brother always having these conversations with me while I was working on my PhD, and he was like amazed by the fact that I wasn't tied down to a relationship and he would wonder like because he was married at the time and he was wondering like why are you not in a relationship like why are you continuously isolating yourself from all these women out here it's like to him you know manhood is kind of attached to this concept of being a ladies man and mm -hmm. you know, my, my response was because if i'm by myself i have a hundred percent chance of being successful mm -hmm. if i hook up with somebody else and i have to be tied down to their emotional baggage then I'm decreasing my own chances of being successful. Mm -hmm. Now I wish I would have took that uh, my own advice <laughs> as I as I move forward, you know, in terms of career progression. I, I didn't, uh, but you know, the the point is, a lot of people think that you know they are achieving a level of education so that they eventually can be uh, within the you know within a relationship and. You just have to be careful because nowadays relationships aren't what they, you know, how we conceptualized them in, from in the past. They're just not that way. 
uh, they could they could be that way. Uh, but my experience has been, you know, uh, that you have to provide, protect, and all of your free time and everything that you uh, you have going on is there. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you know I, I remember the Onyx song where uh, uh, the bald head dude I forget what his name is man uh, but he's like oh. well, mine is mine and was yours is mine you got sticky fingers <laughs> yeah, sticky fingers I'm like man wait a minute yeah it was yeah. yours is yours and was mine is yours oh and I've had women say that directly yeah, yeah so, I've had them say that yeah so it's you know I, but I've had good decent women who had nothing but my best interest at heart. So, uh, but you know, at the time when I had those good women, women, I wasn't focused on relationships. I was focused on uh, attaining my doctoral degree in career advancement. So, uh, now, now, before we get to Hood Scholar, I just want to say, in posting the, j- this show, uh, advertising for this show, the immediate responses that we got specific to accomplished ADOS uh, ADOS men were that uh, they were betas, they were weak, they were effeminate, they were crying and begging and needed to man up, um, all because of this notion of claiming and acknowledging themselves as, quote unquote, the prize. Now, this is interesting because when, you know, we've had a whole hashtag about Black women essentially being uh, fantastical, you know, in terms of uh, Black girl magic and so on and so forth. That's accepted. There, there. I mean, across the country, you have sisters throwing award ceremonies for each other, acknowledging themselves, co- proclaiming their degrees and and what they're worth and what what they demand in relationships. And yet, for some reason, one black male saying that he is the prize, which is nothing on a, a, a variety of hashtags that acknowledge black female, you know, advancement, somehow response uh, sparks a furor. So, in response to this show. There was a whole stream of arguments about just the very question of black men acknowledging that. I didn't even position, I didn't even state my position on it. I just posted the show and said, this is what it's about. And the response was visceral in, in, in regard to black men in the academy actually acknowledging their own worth, which is something Valdez talked about a little earlier today that black men have a problem doing. And, and, and I just want to point out, I've been watching The Last Dance on Michael Jordan, and I'm noticing the same thing, right? Michael Jordan got, just as Valdez pointed out earlier today, he got $250,000 from Nike when he first signed that contract. They expected to make a million dollars, and they made a, I can't recall, it, it's a crazy no, amount in just the first year, but he only signed for $250,000. If you look at somebody like Scottie Pippen, Right, was paid incredibly under the table. I would argue that a lot of that comes from us not really being able to determine our value, or at least not knowing how to. You know, in many instances, when I got a doctorate, I didn't, I didn't really know what to do with it. I just put it in the envelope and went back to work. I'm being honest. I didn't know. I mean, other than that, all I spent years doing is training. I didn't know anything about how to apply it or how to how to actually reevaluate how to see myself. Because that was not a welcome part of the discussion in Black America. Being accomplished, you know, you were considered uh, easily arrogant. I think even Chris Rock joked about this years ago where he said, you know, you get your master's degree or something. And he said, uh, you know, people will more readily understand you getting out of prison than understand what it means for you to have gotten a graduate degree. And they'll immediately respond to you with anger. And I found that to be the case, uh, especially in regard to intimate relationships. But uh, Hood Scholar, go ahead, jump in on this. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've been with my wife since undergrad. So um, so I just respond more to what, what was has already been presented with, with like with Green Gorilla. It was, grad school was hard being married with kids, bro. Mm -hmm. Like I, um, I basically, I, I, I haven't slept since like 2013. <laughs> you got you got a little one too, right? Yeah, yeah. I got I got a little like a six month old. Yeah, but man. I mean, just between like, I mean, it was hard because like you, like Ron was right. Like you got to try to balance doing the schoolwork, um, academics and taking care of the family. But I would say that um. Like real talk, you know, at the end of the day, the academy doesn't mean as much to me as like my family and the people from my hood and the real problems. Mm -hmm. So I was willing to make those sacrifices. But on another note, I do want to point out um, one of the comments said that um, after he got his MD, he got more um, more numbers in his inbox and stuff like that. And I just want to point this out, y'all. Like, I don't know how it is for y'all, but um, I get a lot of attention from women. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want to say at this juncture, since it's not so much about my specific relation with my wife, that I had women say, I got a hotel room ready for you. My stuff is wet. You can come over now. Um, all that stuff, right? And I'm pointing this out because all, all if you just scroll down your timeline, Twitter, all you all you see, oh, this dude was in my inbox. This dude was this. All oh, this. Whoa, hold on, pause. Don't just go ahead and just blast black men for this because it it goes every way. One one more example. And I close with this. I was at this conference, right? And I was on the elevator, and this woman, I felt like she was like staring into my soul, like she was. And y'all know how like. Y'all know how it is to be on an elevator, right? Like, it's a combined space. There's nowhere for you to go. She was like this. <laughs> I was like, bro, like, like, balls, like, come on. Like, are you, like, literally, are you undressing me? Like, what's going on now? See, I just want to throw that out there. Like, hey, y'all y'all be thrashing and trashing on black men for doing this, but some of y'all women be doing the same thing. It happens. There's definitely no question about that. Um, and I can tell you in terms of what you just mentioned, what, you, uh, what is it you were just saying? Uh, it sparked something. Um, ah, damn it. it. It got away from me. I, it'll come back in a get little back, bit. Get it back. It, it'll come back in a little bit. Because uh, it was something you said that I resonated with. Aside from the fact that I've had a newborn while being in graduate school. Uh, so there, have your kids taken the keys off your keyboard yet? Man, they've done everything, yo. This Actually, this is the new computer. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But so it definitely <laughs> happens. Oh, I remember. But when you also talked about, you know, being flirted with and having yeah. your inbox filled up, uh, trust me when I tell you that happened at my wife's funeral. <sighs> my mother and my uh, aunt had to actually run defense at the funeral itself for me because I, I was in another place. I wasn't even there. But, you know, yeah, I'm getting texts. I'm getting emails, you know, on my phone like. I'm I'm here. Call me, you know. Come through, and I and not in the future, like tonight. Uh, so it, it it can be vicious in that regard, and part of that is really being objectified in a particular way. We, yeah. we, we describe that as a certain type of success object, uh, success objectification when it comes to men who have achieved. Um, it, it, you know, we only talk about objectification usually when we talk about sex, 
And, and we usually, you know, attribute that solely to what women are victimized by being sexually objectified. Now, I would argue black men have been sexually objectified since slavery. Um, yeah. you know, there's I, to me, there's no debate with that. But you'd be surprised how many, uh, you know, Ph.D. Uh, you know, professors who are schooled in feminism have never even acknowledged that black men experience sexual objectification. But we're also objectified in terms of our capacity uh, to be success objects, right? To be uh, vehicles for other people to advance, you know, much like we see with rappers and entertainers and athletes. Yeah. It's a similar kind of dynamic. Uh, Let me jump in because is, I, we actually get that even over something like a pension. <laughs> you get objectified, but go ahead. Yeah, because I was going to say, I, I was dealing with some of this stuff even before I entered a PhD program. Mm -hmm. I mean, and part of it, I would admit, like, I, I'm 6'3", so I'm tall, mm -hmm. so I fit, like, whatever that, you know how they be making those lists of the stuff they be looking for? Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm a tall, dark-skinned dude, so, like, and 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 it's, that joint, yo, like, it doesn't feel good at all, right? Like, a lot of it is glamorized, but just to have random people, and it's, and also, like, I get it from a white woman, too, and I'm like, like I, I, I only like my wife is black, and I'm like I'm all black everything. Like I, I love black, black, black. Shout out to black women. I love black. So when they do it, I'm like I have no interest in you at all. So why are you even doing this? Mm -hmm. You know what? I wonder if uh, your being married also contributes to that. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if your marital status um, is a kind of seductive thing for women. Oh, you know, mm -hmm. I mean there are there are women who. Yeah. You know who will, who will you know flirt with men who are married, you oh, know, yeah. and uh, and I think within an academic context, I mean, I mean, there's capital, you know, kind of hetero capital that you have by being a black married man and what have you. Um, at at certain level, you might be seen as you know accessible or safe, you mm -hmm. know, whereas someone like me, so I'm not married, and mm -hmm. so. I have to deal with uh, what I often, you know, refer to as, you know, kind of a heterophobic type of relationship with people because I don't have, I don't have a wife. And if you are a single man, a single heterosexual man in the university, you know, the uh, the perception that you're a, you know, a, a potential threat sexually is just amplified. And so what mm -hmm. happens is that you can have uh, people who are very distant and reluctant or hesitant. They might have some sexual interest or some type of desire for you, but um, because of that, that idea that you are a threat, you know, them, they might keep you at a distance. And so, um, and, and I've heard, I've heard other, so it's like, you know, talking to other black men who are married, I um, it's interesting hearing their experiences. And, and I've heard the same thing. They get they get hit on, they get uh, pursued in that in that same fashion. So I think it's it's interesting um, that 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 happens to you. You know, given given the fact that you are six three, you are dark skin, and you're married. <laughs> With the doctor, yeah, yeah. Well, I jump in too here. Um, mm -hmm. When I first uh, got my PhD, you know, twenty fourteen, I started mm -hmm. at a uh, uh, like a small college. And it was like three or four women who were jockeying for me. I was single, you know. I'm like, I'm six three two. You know what I'm saying? Like two fifteen, two twenty. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. And so, uh, you know, I. But I, you know, you have to be careful with who you deal with on these kind of jobs. You know what I'm saying? Because if you start dealing with with a woman at that kind of you know institution, and then something goes sour, then you know everything can just you know fall down. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless, anything can fall down if you're a black man. I mean, you only one move away from being back on the plantation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's just the truth. Right. But, uh, right. Right. Yeah, but uh, you know, uh, I never, I don't know. It's, it's it's dealing with women. It's not like I, you know, my every move is okay. Well, how can I order my life in the context of how I'm going to deal with a woman? That's just not how I never thought about anything. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last thing, you know, I, I, I try to do is, you know, think about what I'm going to do in terms of finding, I got to find me a woman right now. I got to go out and find me a woman. If, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, you know? Um, but I mean, you know, women come on to you all the time. It's what they do. Uh, but they act like they, you know, they act like, uh, you know, it's all this predatory behavior going on. But women are terribly predatory, man. Well, it's and that's a one-sided analysis, right? And we we seldom hear across race about women being predatory in that kind of way. But as somebody who was both married and single at different points in time in the educational process, and and you know, post you know tenure and whatnot, I can definitely say I've had women tell me they explicitly look for accomplished married men. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and they tend to enjoy that dynamic. I've had some tell me that, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for, for an accomplished man that can provide for them and can go ahead and step in and take care of particular debts, especially school loan debts, things of that nature. So I've seen all of that kind of happen. And I've also been to those conferences where even if you're, you're, it's publicly known that you're married, you might have someone knocking at your door with a trench coat on. So all of those things, you know, I've seen and, and experienced to different degrees, but we only talk about uh, sexual objectification and predatory behavior as it pertains to, to men, especially black men, but not in regard to what black men experience yeah. from others. Right. That's very true, man. And I just want to say something on the sidebar. I mean, people, you know, putting in uh, disparaging comments before discussions or conversations even take place. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's easy for, for people who haven't been through what we've been through to, you know, talk about us and, you know, say deprecating things about us. Oh, he's a beta male this, he's a beta male that. Man, we're from the same place that most of these people are from. I don't, I don't know, like, what, what concept they have in their minds about what kind of men attain PhDs that a black are. I don't know where mm-hmm. they, they get these crazy concepts. But I've been through hell, man, just like the rest of these guys have been through hell. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe more hell than some of them have ever ever even thought about going through. You know, like, I, you know, I, I'm from the block, man. I, like I said, I'm from the place where if you're not ready to get it in, you will get got. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just that simple. So, uh, you know, we, we need to show some more respect to each other. I mean, where's the love from, from the other brothers, man, instead of, you know, right. all this, this hating, this sideline hating. Well, like in the rap game, it's, it's a lot of haters, and foot, I guess in the sports world, it's a lot of hating. We need to stop all the hating, man. That hate hurts. And that's that's what. Oh, that, I just want to say real quick. That's one of the reasons for the show, so that black men can more fervently and openly support one another, even in the things that we're not allowed to say in other spaces. And I, I just want to quickly also shout out for support uh, to thank uh, RJR and Art of Idmore for the support. Uh, but go ahead, Doctor Neil, you were about to say something. Yeah, I just want to add to what uh, Green Gorilla um, just said, you know, you know, our experiences, you know, are are diminished. All right. It goes back to this whole the the niggerization thing. Mm -hmm. What what people need to understand is that, you know, when you're pursuing 
you know, um, higher education at this level, you are outside of your comfort zone. You are outside of the black world. You're dealing with a Darwinistic white world, a predatory white white world. And there are a lot of a lot of people. I'm just going to say this: there are a lot of black people who will break and who will be crushed by this by this world. And I've seen it happen. And so there's this this notion that somehow or another, climbing up the the academic ladder or moving up in terms of our own. Uh, you know, career tra trajectories is, is something, some type of um, um, easy uh, um, feat, which it, it is not. This, this, we, we deal with hostility on a daily basis. This is no, this is, I mean, this is no walk in the park. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and so, and I, and I often say it's easier. I'm going to say this, I, I'll say this be, to, to, to be offensive to people. It's easier to be a criminal, to engage in crime, to rob, to steal, to, to carjack and all that kind of stuff. It's easier to do that than to engage the white world of capitalism, mm -hmm. the white mainstream world of capitalism, where you're dealing with predatory whiteness. Mm. Oh, brother, brother, brother Ronald, man. Let me, let me just, please, brother Ronald, man. Let, I'm gonna tell you the truth, okay? So I'm older than you, right? But I, I graduated from college in 93, right? Mm. So I went straight into a doctoral program. Straight mm -hmm. And you know, some people take the route of getting the masters first and then after the masters, they go to graduate school and it's kind of like a, a segue to get your masters and then to move into a doctoral program. So I went straight into this doctoral program and man, I swear to God, it was the weirdest shit in the world, man. Like, I, you know, like it was just, you surrounded by all of these white people using all of these big ass, fancy ass words, talking about all of these concepts that I had no engagement with. And my first, my first instinct was, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep my, my phone down, but I was like, fuck these people, man. Mm. And you know what I did? I went out and I started being a criminal, Ronald. Mm. I was like, you know what? I'd rather go to the hood, smoke blunts, drink 40 ounces, sell crack rock, than to deal with these, these crazy ass mm. homies, man. Mm. Real talk. I'm like, man, I, like, I, like, I don't like them. I don't like their 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 egotisticalness. I don't like the, you know the idea that they feel like they know every damn thing, mm -hmm. and, and that's why I try to stay humble around brothers because I don't want them to feel or sisters. I don't want them to feel like I think I have all the answers. One thing mm -hmm. I know after having become an academician is that I don't know everything. I know yeah. that my area of expertise is limited. I, it's impossible for me me to be a compendium of human knowledge walking around mm -hmm. if I know every damn thing. But I'm a walking griot. Let me do my work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to understand that, okay, I know something a little more than you do about something. So yeah. let's get you to what I know. I'm giving you the game for free because you're in my presence, so I'm going to give you my knowledge. That's all I want to do is feed you what I know. And you can reject what I know because half of what I'm doing is just assessing arguments and viewpoints. Mm -hmm. But at least have a sophisticated conversation with me instead of just trying to be you know, uh, a facing because you can't get with it because you really, you you know, you don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's, it's just, it's, it's like a catch 22 sometimes, you know, but, mm -hmm. um, so my, my first, my first contact with academia was absolute rejection. Mm -hmm. I didn't, like I was like, but then I, as I got older, I said, you know what, I'm going to engage this and I'm going to attack it like a, a gorilla. <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna attack you like a savage. It's like future on the microphone or 
you know, Lil Wayne on the microphone or, you know, Shannon Sharp on the field. I'm uh, shit like a, like a, 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 a gorilla, man. Well, this is it, it, grad school was alien like to me as well, because I saw things that I didn't expect to see. You know what I mean? Like I didn't I didn't really I wasn't I wasn't prepared to see, you know, faculty sleeping with students uh, in exchange for grades. You know, right. I wasn't prepared to see faculty stealing uh, papers from students and publishing them. I wasn't prepared to see yeah. students cutting each other's throats in class in hopes of being able to get funding, you know, in, in the graduate school process. So it, graduate school is real cutthroat in and of itself. And I wasn't prepared to see a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, and I really didn't know what that would mean in terms of future advancement. But it was like, you know, hitting the ground running to kind of get the politics of what it was like. And this is one of the reasons I started my blog, newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. I started it to provide information and data, particularly to black male graduate students about things that they weren't going to get in class. So whether you're talking about, you know, the, you know, the, the deaths of black men, whether you're talking about, you know, terminology that black male studies is developing. I was working on these concepts, but immediately sharing references and ideas, particularly for graduate students, because I know what we're not allowed to say and the kind of punishments that come about if you try to too early in your career. Right. The kind of punishments that may prevent you from being able to advance, may even prevent you from being able to graduate with the degrees that you're there for strictly because you challenged, you know, the dominant narrative, particularly on gender and race lines. And and, you, and that's the kind of punishment we get. So I've had grad students contacting me for the last five years asking for help under the table because they're not getting anywhere they are, especially as black men. Right. Can I jump in real quick? Please go ahead. Yeah. So two things, Ron, that statement was so on point because like I'm going to be transparent with y'all. Right. Come from the hood. Sometimes I think like, what if I was just a hustler? Okay. What if I was just a dope boy? And Green, I know you can understand this because like I'm like, yo, the amount of respect I would get for that or for either like having a body that I that, like a body count that I killed, that I hid, was able to get away with. Or been able to get the strap, like all that stuff. Like those thoughts run through my head. Like, look at the respect that I get, and I wouldn't be having to deal with all this BS, mm. Mm. right? And then on another note, right? Look, these I don't. I ain't gonna lie. Like all these, all these big words like obtuse and um, what is it like preponderance? Like it's just fluff. Like, these people, are, they're really not that smart in the first place. Like, you go ahead and read some of these publications that these white scholars be having, mm -hmm. bruh, and y'all know this, right? It's, yeah, it's just the language. It's just the language, and they're not really talking about nothing. They just use that language to cover up their insecurities because they are just as afraid and just as concerned, but their whiteness bailed them out every single time. But what you're also pointing to is that you know, at the end of the day, once you get past the language and you get to the arguments themselves, you find that you already have something to pull from. You have a tradition, you have a history. And as much as they may want to try and get, you know, especially black male grad students to believe that there is nothing of relevance that comes out of their experience. Once you learn the language, you realize you got a lot to say, actually. Right. And you already do have a position, but that's not often how we're trained. So you yeah. actually have to go out and get that your, yourself whereas a lot of your counterparts can actually pull it from the class itself. So you, you, you really kind of isolate it out on your own in a particular way. And you have to often go find that kind of outside support and bring it back in 
because it's usually not intrinsic to the program itself. It's not fused in the curriculum for us, you know, in many instances. And let me, and, and I would say that like, and that's exactly what I had to do during grad school, right? I had people outside of my program who looked out for me, but let me say this just to encourage everybody who's watching it, right? Eventually what helped me to get over the hump was being insecure, was being secure with myself, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I would say, you know what? I'm I'm a, I'm cool with my flaws. I don't care if you call me toxic. I don't care whatever way you try to frame me or set me up. Mm -hmm. I know who I am. I know what matters most to me, and that's what I'm gonna stand on. And I just want to tell everybody who's watching this: like, be secure in yourself, yo. Like, white supremacy is going to lie. White supremacy is going to try to make us fight each other. But all that's lies, and like, don't don't accept that, right? Mm -hmm. And then also to to bring it bring it full circle. The reason why to go back to that comment I made when my homie told me that his son looked up to me. The reason why I meant so much is because let me give you this example, right? This this one rap I listened to, he was like, um, he 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 almost joined the game, but the reason why he almost joined the game, he said because at least they're proud of him. Mm. Like you think about it, you got other grown yeah. men, dope mm -hmm. boys who didn't respect the saying, I'm proud of you, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, look, look what we can do as black men saying, look, you don't gotta be, you can be yourself. Like with me, that's why I'm like, I'm still the hood scholar, I'm still a hood dude. When I'm hearing from you, Green, you still represent who you came, where you came from, you still represent the people, and you could be an intellectual, and you could be smart, and then that can create a new image. For the next generation. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Let me um, pose this question as far as, you know, our experiences in the academy. Um, in regard to something like Me Too, how did your experience or what did you experience, if anything, um, that changed the game for you as a black male in the academy? Well, I would say this, um, and this is pre-Me Too, pre-Me Me Too. Mm -hmm. um, I watched a number of black men either have their careers completely destroyed or derailed um, because they got in, into you know inappropriate situations with women. Okay, uh, I watched that when I was in graduate school, mm -hmm. uh, and you know this is back in the '90s, late '90s. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was, you know, for me, um, um, instructive. They were cautionary tales because I saw what happened to them. Um, I, I know one black male, he just, he lost his career. Just It, it was just gone. He, he messed around with a white woman, mm -hmm. uh, had sex with a student, and mm -hmm. uh, it backfired on him. He lost his job. He lost his career. He, he works outside the academy now, you know, and the other, there are two other black males who were, married men, both of whom were also, uh, you know, involved in situations with white women um, who were able to maintain their careers, but, um, you know, they, they did suffer serious setbacks. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I said, you know what, I'm, that's the last thing <laughs> that I want to happen to me. And so uh, seeing that, I was always careful in terms of my interactions mm -hmm. uh, with women and, you know, because you're always, I mean, the whole, you know, sexual, sexual harassment thing, I mean, that's been a part of, 
you know, the culture, the conversation for, you know, you know, four or five decades now, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so we've, we, we've lived with that. So pre me too, I was already, you know, I was already aware and I was already yeah, yeah. cautionary and everything like that. Um, and, and I would say, you know, one of the, the upsides though, right now with the movement is that, you know, I think that it is, you know, it is giving men, particularly black men, uh, a, a, a kind of you know, wake-up call. It, it's it's being it's, it's very uh, instructive in terms of you know black men understanding exactly the terrain that they're dealing with and to be more um, cautious in their interactions and to to uh, to be more um, sophisticated in how they you know move forward and 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 uh, and govern themselves with women. I mean, so you know, think about it. I mean, most of us we're in institutions that. I cater primarily to women. The vast majority of the students that I have and I have taught in my career 17 years have been women. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and I've I've mentored women. I've written recommendations for women. I have, you know, women who are in graduate schools right now, you know, who who are, you know, were my former students. Okay. And so um, you know, I have um, been very, very sensitive to how I interact with women. And uh and so um it's it's, it's an ongoing thing and just you know, it, it, when when it continues, I know, and, and there are always new cases that are emerging on campuses with athletes and professors and administrators and all that kind of stuff. You know, you just you just hope that you will learn, um, you know, from those situations, or at least the men, black men and others, will learn from those situations and uh, and, and be more preventive in terms of how they negotiate, you know, the academic terrain. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're basically, you know, we're, we're acknowledging that this has always been going on for black men. Um, but there there indeed was a different level uh, of intensity and response after that, that I think you're right. You know, it, black men definitely had to become even more careful about because we're, we're already sexualized in a very particular way uh, in these institutional settings. We're viewed as a threat, a sexual threat. You know, uh, there's a threat of violence. There's a threat of being se uh, sexually violent. Um, that that kind of pervades the understanding and, and interpretation of black maleness, you know, and so it, it becomes very easy, uh, even for for just the, something as simple as the look on your face to be, re be received as a threat. And I've had that happen as well, where you know all of a sudden, you know, you have to now grapple with this sexualization that nobody really wants to talk about in regard to black men. You know what I mean? So we go back to the notion of being a sexual predator. Right. Simply because you're black and male, mm -hmm. uh, we often don't want to have that discussion. We, we, we talk about sexual victimization in terms of what women experience. But when you talk about what it's like on a college campus as a black male who has been received as a sexual threat for the last few centuries, that's a conversation that there, you know, few people want to have in a gendered, nuanced kind of concept in a kind of way. But uh, anybody else jump in on this? How did your how did the climate change? When you started to, when we started to see these kinds of cases come up, as far as me too. Yeah, I just stayed, man. I became asexual. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I mean, you look how you look, and you are who you are. Like I don't try, yeah. I try not to change my comportment all the way. Mm -hmm. In terms of like coming on to people, that's mm -hmm. to me. That was always a white privilege thing to begin with. Like you, mm -hmm. I couldn't even imagine having sex with one of my students, or even propositioning to go out with one of my students. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, 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 no way. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, but but at the same time, though, 
So I'm a cautionary tale. Like my, my career has been derailed. I'm not going to say exactly why, but I mean, you, you got to understand that right now in this cultural climate, you are public enemy number one. There's nothing right you can do, mm. right? And you better be careful of how you move. Bottom line, you better be you better be extra careful of how you move. I wish I would have took the stance that uh, Brother Neil took, and or had an A one from day one, like the Hood Scholar. You know what I'm saying? And you know you yeah, ain't a whole lot of those. That's not that's not easy to find. <laughs> but you're a widowed man, uh, right? Right. So you know, like it's like okay, how can I replace somebody who actually was there when I came up? Because you don't know who you don't know who these people are. They looking at you like the next football star or something like that. Right. You there, you you're you're their ticket to a middle class life, right? And if you don't do what they say, like women know the kind of power that they have. Although they claim that they're so weak and they're powerless, like I, I've just never seen it in my lifetime. You know, I've seen men be afraid of women, afraid to approach women, and be intimidated by women. And you know, this idea, this notion that you know women are just hapless, uh, uh, you know, does caught in the uh, headlights. It's absolutely ridiculous to me, man. It's, it's time for men to start talking about their experiences, and it's time for women to start, you know, taking some agency and start, you know, accepting some responsibility instead of, you know, trying to place all of the 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 uh, responsibility baggage onto men, black, mm -hmm. especially black men in the black mm -hmm. community. This this whole Me Too thing, uh, it started off as a means by which women who had been the victims of sexual assault and rape. Could communicate with one another and have conversations about how to overcome, you know, those, you know, those circumstances. But then, you know, all of a sudden, Alyssa Milano, this white woman, comes forward and you know promotes the hashtag. Like we're part of a hashtag culture and a cancel culture. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I look at it like it's a witch hunt. You better not step. It's like Wu Tang said, "Watch your step, kid, and protect your neck." You better watch your step. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You better watch your step every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and it's unfortunate, though, that, you know, the people that's, that are closest to you are the ones that can undo you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's it's just like the dope game. <laughs> you know, they say all yeah. love and war, but that shit ain't fair at all, man. Mm. <laughs> mm. So just watch your step around the people, you know, that you, you associate with. Mm. And, uh, you know. Just be real careful, man. It's not good for men out here. It definitely ain't never been good for black men, but it's even worse than, than what I used to see in the past. It's terrible now for black men. Okay. Yeah, I just got a, a short response. Uh, one, but just so y'all know, like, I don't want y'all to think that my marriage has been like perfect these past like 13 years, whatever, because it's been hard. Like, it's been real hard being married as a black man in the academy, all of that. So, just to let y'all know that, um, but we still we still fighting for our marriage. But the the thing I would say with the me too, I just share a quick example, and I'm not gonna give any names to um, provide maintain confidentiality. But there's a student, he was a um, a black male TA at a PWI, and um, he he shared a story with me that a student was actually struggling in the class, right? And the TA reached out the student to to offer help to the student, and the 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 um the graduate student told me that he actually got reported for that. Mm. Okay. For help and in 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 the in the in the like me too type like mm -hmm. report mm -hmm. like and the student was like 
he is a TA, right? Mm -hmm. And he's helping a student in his class. Yeah, so yeah. like, what differently could he have done? Yeah. I was like, bro, I don't know what to tell you. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because what happens is that, I mean, we're, we're in a moment where every, every interaction, you know, um, regardless of, of what the interaction is, from a, from a look, from a gesture, you know, to to the tone of your voice. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. it is at you know the most mundane, uh, trivial, you know, uh, encounters that you have are blown up, politicized, you know, and turned into these you know scenarios where you become seen as a kind of, of a predator. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you know, black men have to. How to be business, man. I mean, for the brothers who are listening, I mean, you need to deal with, and this is not just the academy, just, you know, those of you all yeah. who are in business, professionals, or what have you, you've got to, you know, treat your your relationships as business relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if we have to avoid, you know, you know what, you know, Tavis Smiley got caught up in. I mean, mm. we saw this girl with Tavis Smiley, man, and it was right. just, and he was old enough. I mean, Tavis Smiley is old enough to know the pitfalls of being involved with people that work for you. You know what I mean? And people who have, who, you know, you have direct authority over. And so I think that to avoid all of that, you just, you have to be businesslike and, and, and professional. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what happens, um, you have to resist um, what, what, it happens particularly with women because um you know there is this this um this 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 side where you're asked to um to be intuitive and emotional and you know there's a there's a, a demand uh for more of a kind of personal relation you know relation relationality they use that kind of language and stuff like that you know what i mean and that's that kind of stuff you have to be cautious about you know you have to mm -hmm. you know uh, emotional, you know, emotional intelligence and emotive um, type of you know communication and everything, you know, and and you know, you know, you have institutions that have whole you know workshops on that, you know what I mean, and and what that does, that type of enterprise is that that can create scenarios that can get you in trouble, and so you need to be businesslike in your dealings um, with women. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and and I will say to those who are already employed, especially if you're newly, you know, going into, you know, the university setting, especially out of grad school, be aware of your rights, be aware of the policies as they pertain to you, because it can become a chess game very quickly. And you'll find yourself on the outs where people will initiate things against you. Uh, and if you're not aware of what the policies are, they can be used against you in a very damaging way to your career. Um, I can share a very brief story where I was uh, teaching a, an intro class. And I think I've said this before on my show. And in this class, I we get to the gender portion of the class. So what I usually do is I teach uh, first on uh, black feminism, then Africana womanism, and then I get to black masculinism. Now, at this time, I, I really wasn't even dealing with masculinism yet. So what happened is I did like a whole two weeks on black feminism. And then I had a sister uh, come in and lecture on womanism. But then when I got to black men, all I did was show statistics. 
I showed the incarceration rates. I showed the employment rates. I showed, you know, that was all I did. I didn't say anything about black men beyond that. I didn't go into any type of ideology. I didn't talk about their experiences being oppressed intra, you know, racially or interracially. I just talked, I just showed percentages. Just from that, the students went to the chair to complain about my class. Now, up until that point, I got nothing but rave reviews. But because I showed statistics on black men, the argument was that I was somehow um, oppressing black women, silencing their experiences. And all I did was show statistics on employment, on homelessness, on rape. I just showed their statistics. That was it. Put charts on the board. They went to the chair. When she didn't you know, support them, they went to the dean and tried to get me fired simply for showing statistics on black men, right? So, you you, you know, and, and, and I actually was able to contact uh, Tommy Curry and he kind of gave me some insight. And I, and, but we had to use policy to fight that kind of narrative because at the end of the day, they actually believed that they could bully their way into controlling the, 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 the uh, syllabus uh, based on what they determined they should know and what they determined was unworthy of their, you know, of having to learn, especially as it pertained to black men. So I would just say, you know, you'll often, well, I won't say often, but you might find yourself in a position where simply being black and male and articulating experiences for black men will put you in a situation where you have to wonder about your career simply on the basis of that. You know, and, and, and let me quickly add what they added to that when they by the time they got to the dean was not only was he teaching something that, you know, we found problematic, which were, again, the statistics. But now we feel threatened in it because I'm six two, I'm over 300. You know what I mean? So now it became we feel threatened in his presence. Well, did he say anything threatening? No. Did he did he threaten anybody? No. We just feel threatened in his presence. So even those kind of, you know, generic statements can be weaponized against you because others will recognize you as a threat simply because you exist. Right. Yeah, that's crazy, man. See, I, you know, I did. Well, I, I went I went above what you've done uh, in terms of like just because I'm confrontational with students. That's <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I am. Like, I mean, I, I play devil's argue, uh, you know, advocate with them all the time. And my whole goal is whatever position you hold, you better be able to defend it vigorously. And you need to know what the other, the converse of the position that you hold is. And I don't know why this is like, you know, all these trigger warnings and uh, all of these, uh, you know, uh, uh, measures to try to make sure, sure the students are like safe emotionally. Like, as far as I'm concerned, that's not what a classroom is supposed to be like. You're supposed to be uncomfortable. Because mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be challenging everything you think you know. Mm -hmm. right? And I'm supposed to be giving you a diversified uh, account of, of, of interpretations about the world we live in. And if, right. if all you get is one narrative, and it's a safe narrative, it's a narrative that keeps you tidily tucked in or like keeps you comfortable with your lioness blanket, then I feel mm -hmm. like I'm on my job. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I directly taught, you know, I taught intersectionality, Kimberly Crenshaw, then came Tommy Curry, you know, like I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna get this work, you're gonna get it all. Right. Right. And then, you know, also I tell you know, I come to the classroom, I let them know, like, okay, I'm not a perfect person. You know, I use street vernacular a lot. If any of you all have any objections to hearing profanity 
or you know, like or seeing like images that might be striking. I want I want you to know to tell me now, so that you know if you're exposed to this kind of material in in, in relation to this course that you can get out of here. You know what I'm saying? So I will give you a trigger if you tell me you need a trigger. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right, you can go. <laughs> but if you don't, if you don't tell me you need it, because I think we're coddling these kids. Yeah. In Mm-hmm. And, and that's this is the place where they need to be shocked because they're not going to get it anywhere else. No. Right. I mean, you know, like after they, I just I hate to say this, but I, I think it needs to be said. A lot of these kids are coming into college with with the mindset that, OK, I'm going here for my major. So all of the stuff in the core curriculum to them is just an obstacle to overcome. Mm-hmm. They don't see any value in learning the core. And having a profound understanding of the history of Western thought, like mm-hmm. even if you you can't critique Western thought and Western culture if you don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it goes for black kids and white kids alike, man. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, when I was an undergraduate, you know, I was a screw up. You know, I did things I shouldn't have done. But one thing I was busy and was serious about was my studying. Mm-hmm. I don't see the seriousness. I don't see the engagement with these students nowadays, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see it. And or maybe it's because I'm at a different level now, and maybe the engagement that they have was commensurate with the engagement I had. But I, I don't think so, man. I mm-hmm. I, just, I feel like they're not engaged in the material like they should and absorbing these gems so that they can use them in their toolkit in the future. Mm-hmm. And I'm just it it just it just upsets me. I'm disgruntled about it. But right. It's, it's not my cross to bear anymore. You know, uh, it is my cross to bear because I want to bring people to education. You know, I feel like I'm a, I've always been a translator. I, I never felt like I was going to be some hot shot scholar, but I know mm-hmm. one thing that I have is the uncanny capacity to get to the root of something and to break it down into terms that anybody can understand. Mm-hmm. Homehood, sisters around the way, whatever the case may be, you're going to be able to understand this when I get to breaking it down. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I, the level of engagement with these kids nowadays, man, I, you know, I, just, I don't know where, they, I don't know where they're at, man. Right. And actually, we have more in common than you think. But I think this was very early into my transition into researching black men because that wasn't something that I really thought about doing early in my career. So as I was kind of coming into it, it was, it was something I was questioning as much as them. And the feedback I got let me know that. Not only is this a hot topic, this is something that people don't want to engage at all if you give them a chance. Yeah. Uh, now it's a it's a very different class, <laughs> yeah. to but, say the least. And I don't, I'm going to duck off after this, not duck off in, in terms of leaving, but like because I've been talking too much. But 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 in general, I'll say this. You got to get to them before they become prostatized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so the university at the current moment is the place. Mm-hmm. to and a narrative, a framework, a paradigm is etched indelibly into these kids' brains. And once it, once once it reaches that place, it's mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to turn it back. Mm. You know, so so we I'm glad you brothers are there, man. Don't I mean fight the good fight, man. Don't let them slip. Don't let them escape, man. Stay on their heads. Be that gadfly. Mm. You know, man. Don't 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 let them don't let them slip away. Right. Right. Um, I'm curious at this point, if you, if, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable, can you talk about the experiences you've had on campus 
that have really shaped where you are academically at this point in your life? Anybody wants to, to kind of share to whatever extent you're comfortable. I can go ahead and um, because this flows with what we were just talking about. Um, so I am currently fighting for my job at um, my university. And if you want to find out details, just look on my public Facebook page. Mm -hmm. um, and it's under Hood Skull. And I have a series of videos laying out everything. I'm, I'm cautious about what I'm going to say now because I'm fighting for it. Right. But I would just say um, I've, it's, it's sad that now that even so part of one of the complaints against me was I basically had the same exact thing that happened to you, Dr. Johnson. This is what mm. happened to me. Mm. And it's sad because um, like part of it, like you said, part of it was a lie, right? They made up right. these, these um, quote unquote facts that weren't true. So what I would say, and I just want to make it make this explicitly clear we have reached the, the point to where just considering that black men could potentially be the victim is now being identified as oppressive to other people. Mm -hmm. think, think about how problematic that is. So if we said that the black man is a victim, you don't name any other race, gender, identity, or nothing, that's considered oppressive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where are we as an academy, as, an, as, a, as a people, if that's the situation? So that was part of my removal. But what happened was, right, um, basically the, the, general, the, the generic thing was there were three quote-unquote complaints against me. And one of the complaints was that I was live streaming my class. And then the, uh, the other two complaints was about a student feeling uncomfortable and... <laughs> A, a midterm participation grade, right? Mm. So that's all that happened. In the middle of the semester, the chair calls me into the office and say that you're no longer teaching. We're not renewing your contract and you're done. Mm. Listen to this. Three complaints. We go from three complaints to you're done for good. No warning, no counseling, no nothing. And to speak directly to this conversation, right? Listen to what they said. They said, so what happened? So I didn't notice, like which y'all probably experienced in y'all classes. Evidently, I was like my students' favorite professor. Mm -hmm. And they and the students were like, they were devastated. So they like they created these videos, they protested, they actually did a sit-in in the president's office. Right. After they did a sit-in, right? They asked them, like, hey, what's going on? Like, why is our favorite professor gone? Mm -hmm. Their response was, we feared for the student safety. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. So listen to this. Three complaints. One included live streaming class, live streaming my class, and one of them was mm -hmm. about the midterm participation grade, and one of them was about the content of my literally it said the content of my um what i was teaching and you fear for their safety mm -hmm. so now follow this trend right and we go back from from transatlantic slavery right when they created this trope of the black male beast yes the black male beast that's dangerous that's violent that's hurtful that's harmful then we go to lynching they say oh we gotta lynch these black men because if not then they're gonna rape our white women if they rape our white women, then of course that's going to um, infiltrate the race. That's going to be harmful and deadly. We literally need to put them to death. 
So these racist, stereotypical tropes created by white supremacy move forward so much to the point that when I'm teaching at this university, I am now considered a threat and a danger that you need to remove me out the class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I literally, and so listen to this. If my class, if I was so much of a threat and danger, and if 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 my class was so harmful, why are the students fighting and and protesting to the, 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 um bring me back into the class? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other than is, oh, he's been a black male who's unapologetic about himself, and no, I'm not gonna act white. I'm not gonna tap dance. I'm not gonna put on for massa. I'm gonna be me. Mm -hmm. And and so I just. So yeah, so for me on campus, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the funny thing about this, I mean, you know, the whole teaching and being in academia while the Me Too movement is going on. You know, the funny thing about it is they'll take you and make you to be the most threatening kind of person in the world just because you have a black body. But all the while, you've been seeing what's been happening in the news recently, right? Yep. The real rapists and the sexual abusers and the touchy-feely creeps, they get all the support. All the support. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, okay, so we know Trump is, uh, you'll grab him by the feet. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, your, your boy Biden has been, you know, uh, accused of grabbing someone by the feet. Mm -hmm. And you can see all the mental gymnastics and the hoops that they got to jump through in order to justify, well, you know, well, you know. Wait a minute, I thought this whole movement was supposed to be attacking the real patriarchs, but now you've typecast us as the danger mm. of, of the people who are dangerous when mm. the real rapists and the real uh, 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 abusers, they get to walk around free and you get to elect them for president. They yeah. don't try. Mm -hmm. man, I'm done with these people, man. Like, unless they're really not ready to have a willing conference, I mean, a, a, a willful and honest and open and canted and intellectually honest conversation, I'm not mm -hmm. talking to them, bro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Neal, weigh in on this for us. Yeah. Um, I would just say this, uh, especially to the benefit, well, I mean to everybody, you know. Um, and I won't go into details. Um mm -hmm. because I hit a glass ceiling at a certain point in in my career. Um, and I would just say this when I had reached that point and it wasn't it wasn't long ago mm -hmm. um i had um decided to leave the academy i said you know mm -hmm. i'm done with this um I, I'm, I'm, I don't i don't give a damn about these institutions because um i played the game i played the game um i thought that i would be rewarded based upon merit in terms of me being active an active scholar uh in the guild someone who was publishing, uh, someone who was doing everything that a scholar is supposed to do. And I hit a professional wall. And uh, and that wall, I you know read it as a wall uh, related to my race, class, and gender, because I was a black man. Mm -hmm. And I will say this, you know, prior to that, that moment, when I came into the academy, I mean, I was already kind of a, a live wire. Um, you know, I talk about <laughs> uh, living out loud. I mean, I've always been a, a you know a philosopher at heart, you know, but I would just say this, that I was pushed over the edge um, mm -hmm. when I hit that glass wall. 
and uh, and and that and I stopped really caring at that particular point, and so um, I, you know I I expressed my my disdain and dislike for academia at that point uh, publicly on social media, blogging, Facebook, and everything, um, and, uh, and and that was really a, a major major turning point for me. Um, you know, fortunately. Um, you know, my situation changed um, and, you know, the doors um, opened again and mm -hmm. I decided to, to, you know, to give it a second, a second shot. Okay. Wow. And, um, and, you know, and so, and, and things have been, and my trajectory has been uphill since that, since that time. So things mm -hmm. have looked well, but I will say this, and again, I'm not going to go into details, um, the glass ceiling. Um, um, that I experienced was something that significantly impacted me um, yeah, psychologically, right. existentially, in so many ways, mm -hmm. and and I still live with the impact impact of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, my my forthrightness today, um, the way I articulate myself and express myself on social media, is very much um, an outgrowth of that. And, and I decided that well, well, I, I've already. You know, I, I already started it back then. I'm gonna why why stop now? You mm -hmm. know, and uh, and it's like I'm gonna do this thing on my own terms. Right. Um, I played. You know, you play the game, um, and you got played by it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and then the game changed, and right. the game was forced. I feel like this: the game was forced to deal with me on my own terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, and when the game was forced to deal with me on my own terms, I decided to to just to to take it up a notch and keep going with it. Mm -hmm. uh, so so that's that's uh, pretty much what happened. I would say Hood Scholar and and even Green Gorilla, all of us, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've I, I I got stories. Like I said, I can't I can't say everything here, but I've right. got stories, story, story, story after story in terms of my own career. Um, you know, being in this profession for for seventeen years, you know, and um, and so it's it's been a it's been a it's been an uphill climb, brothers, and uh, and it hasn't it has not been easy. And I, I I sacrificed a lot. Like I said, I talked about marriage and all that other things. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's been up and down. I was in a situation where I made little money as an academic, and then then ch things just changed overnight. Where I, I you know you know make you know more money than I've ever made in my entire life. You know what I'm saying? And so. Wow. Um, you know, it, it's that sort of thing. So, you know, and I want you guys to be encouraged, man, and uh, and know that you're not by yourselves in terms of, you know, the, the darts and the bullets and the guns that are aimed at you, man. Um, because, you know, I, I got scars, you know, I'm, right. I'm a bad Right. Well, I can, I, I think you've hit on really what the answer to the, the title of the show is for me, uh, because, you know, when you talk about black men recognizing their value, recognizing their worth. One of the things that I've experienced throughout my career is uh, this is my, let me say, I started uh, teaching 22 years ago now. What I learned is that the institutional barriers that are framed in regard to, you know, white supremacy uh, are definitely, you know, present. But then there were also barriers within, you know, what I'm referring to the black community. I'm talking particularly about the gynarchy. Uh, I've had some some definite experiences there as well. And so, you know, not being received in these two larger frameworks socially, you know, professionally has been a very kind of isolating experience. But to me, the answer to that 
begins with these kinds of unions where black men actually begin to dialogue with each other and create support networks for each other intellectually, uh, socially, professionally, mentoring, you know, because that was one of the things I wanted to see if you guys had something you wanted to say about in terms of mentoring other black men. But we have got to really step up the nature by which we support one another, because at the end of the day, what I found just a few years ago was that I didn't have anyone to call when when everything began to go sideways. You know, I, th th there was no one to call because for the most part, other demographics had their support networks privately and professionally, including black women. But those networks didn't necessarily include me. So I've seen programs, for example, that I was asked to participate in developing, and I've watched those programs develop. And then overwhelmingly, 95% of the people they're supporting are not black males. They may include other groups. And if they were black programs, they would be overwhelmingly for female, but for males, very little. So I found for students, and I found this for myself at the professional level, the types of resources extended to black males were nominal. And so I began to look for networks, uh, you know, for me, and I began to set up some. So I set up a support organization for black male students uh, at my campus, and I began to set up networks nationally and internationally, uh, if possible, for black men, because I, I often found there weren't very many. There weren't very many. Man, let me let me just tell you one thing, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't you hear me well because I kind of stepped back from the computer, but uh, I was going through like an emotional rough spot, and uh, you know I was in a meeting, and you know it was asked of me. I won't say who or how, you know, because I, I got stories. Everybody, if you're a black man in academia, you got stories galore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just pile up. Okay. Um, so I, was, I was asked about my personal life. I was told that I would be asked about my personal life, my teaching, and my scholarship in succession. Mm -hmm. It went to my personal life, and I divulged. I, I let out like a floodgate because I was going through a very tumultuous time. Mm -hmm. You know what was told to me immediately after that? Mm. Okay, well, uh, what's going on with your teaching? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine... You know, you're in a quagmire and you, you you let it be known that you're going through like hell. Mm. And the next thing you get told is, OK, well, enough about that. That's that's. I, f I figure if I was a woman or a black woman, all mm. kind of resources would have been opened up to me. All, I can't I'm, I'm just speculating. More. I can't say that with any degree of certitude. I can't. But I feel like if I was. It would have been like, hold on, wait a minute. We need to figure out what's going on with our investment here. Because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like, to me, I liken academia to, like, signing to a record label. You, I mean, you got to find a department. <laughs> then you got to produce books well, right. you, or you, with your albums, or you got to put out singles with your articles. Mm -hmm. Then you got to go out and promote them. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Your department, even if they behind you, they're gonna put some money into you and get your budget <laughs> so true. in order for you to do what you gotta do. And they gotta provide support for you. They really have to be behind you in order for you to be successful, especially if you're a first generation academician. And mm -hmm. and many black men are, because there ain't there ain't no long line of black men in academia. It just ain't there. Mm -hmm. So you gotta figure it all out by yourself. But mm -hmm. if if the if People change, and like academia is always changing. People get new jobs, moving in, out. You know, if your A and R is gone, 
then you, you know your your album can flop. Right. So 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 it's like if you don't get the support in those networks, and unfortunately nobody thinks we need help because mm. we're black men, we're strong, we're the buck, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we're the danger. Mm-hmm. We can't be perceived as people who are in danger. Well, and it and it goes even further in the black community where there's this idea that like white men. There's this long-standing, uh, what do you call it, men's uh, what men's club, boys' network, where we're somehow yeah. privileged, and we've been maintaining this privilege amongst each other, and and so this is one of the reasons why you see black women advocating so strongly only for other black women, because there's this idea that I think has been appropriated from white America, because you know in, in a feminist lens, men are just men, men just have one category. So if white men do this, black men must be doing this. And therefore, we have to represent for ourselves because black men have their own old boys network. I would argue that's not the case at all. You know, most of the time you see black men in the academy, they're lone wolves. It's it's often like uh, I liken it to cowboys at the OK Corral. You kind of just on your own with your gun on your hip, hoping that you don't get taken out. But there's usually not a larger kind of network where that's structured and funded and organized and it's something that still needs to be developed in 2020 but the assumption is that because black men must have this network like others do we don't really need to think about them you know can i jump in right here and and add on to that and i actually had the same situation on green gorilla where i i was talking to another professor pour my um pour my heart out y'all know how you want to know what they said to me what they say just imagine if you was a black woman. Oh man, right. So it's like it's like it's almost it's like well, you kind of got a bad, but you're not a black woman. So like it's like, and I was like I was and I was shocked. I was like really like I literally just poured out my heart, and you said just imagine how it is for black women. Mm-hmm. And so what I what I realized was right, and and I don't know how y'all journey was because it, it probably similar to you too, Doctor Johnson. When I first got into the academy, I was reading. That's all I was reading. So I was reading black feminist texts and black feminist thought and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I wasn't reading about black men because mm-hmm. all I was told was, and we've already paid too much attention to black men. So let's just study black women. Mm-hmm. And let's just um, study LG, LGBTQI things because they're left out. And as I was going through it, I was like, I just noticed that my experience experiences were missing. And then something hit me. And I re- actually, I just realized this today. Along with what you were saying with Dr. Johnson, they view this, this our, 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 our problem through a patriarchal lens, right? And so since the problem is patriarchy and black men are men, so they have access to patriarchy, then that means, and this is the point that, that I want to make explicit, black men cannot be victims. Okay. So, yeah. like, so if you look at the situation through a patriarchal lens, then it's, 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 it's as if our problems are non-existent. So it's like it's not even the opportunity for us to have this for for, for us to even have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's why what you're doing right with the honest report with the um black masculinities and what and these conversations we're having are so important because we're saying, hey, actually. We don't have access to that patriarchy. We don't have access to that privilege. And in fact, it's the opposite. We are the victim. And and just to make this even more clear, hopefully as clear as possible, black men, look, 
don't believe those lies. Mm -hmm. Because I see it, I, and you know what it's sad because I don't, it's, yeah, other women and other people be like kind of putting me down or going against me, but I see black women saying, you're, you got privilege in, and they're just stepping up and you know, I'm gonna fight for, for black women. I'm sorry, I see black men saying, you got privilege, I'm gonna fight for black women, and you oh, need okay. to um, get in line. Yeah, like, yeah. Bro, come on. And it's crazy, you know, what, what Hood, Hood Scholar is going through, what he's experiencing is patriarchy. It's predatory mm -hmm. white patriarchy. He is a victim of patriarchy vis-a-vis -vis the institution that he's in. The patriarchy that he's dealing with is a, is a kind of patriarchy which gives everyone a license to come at him mm -hmm. because no one's going to come to his defense because mm -hmm. all the, 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 the groups that we think about, uh, women, LGBTQ, immigrants, or what have you, okay? I mean, all those folks are protected at some level. Mm. It is understood at a very unconscious level, at a very unconscious level that you can do whatever you want to do to a black male because he has no protection. None. But what happens is that you are, there is this effort to convince you otherwise, to convince you that somehow or another you are benefiting and participating right. in the, the very same patriarchy that is victimizing you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have done a good job at convincing a lot of us black people. They've, they've, they've done a good job in terms of socializing students in women and gender studies and other places to see us in that way. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and, I, and I do agree. Yes, we have to continue to, to contest it. We have to contest it and yeah. say and, and, and call out this, you know, the, the erroneous and false nature, you know, of these assumptions. You know what you're doing. You know, you're you are you are in a situation where you have been exploited, and the institution knows it's exploiting you, and the institution knows that you are disposable. The institution knows that you don't have allies, right? And they can continue to aggressively move you out with the assumption that you have no means of fighting back, legally or otherwise. And that's how, and that is the kind of situation that we as black men, particularly academics, find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're an assistant professor, or if you're a contingent professor, or what have you. I've done, I've been, I've done all of that. Right, right. But you, you know, the funny thing about it is, and just speaking about my personal experience in my family life as a young boy, right? Mm -hmm. And I grew up with a single mother, and I remember one day. My mother and my grandmother sat me down on the couch with my young, with my older cousin. She was, she's three years older than me. And they looked at us both. Now, these are black women. And they looked at her and they looked at me and they had a talk with us. They said, she going to be all right. Mm. You know why? She's pretty and she's a woman. Some man is going to take care of her. She can't take care of herself. Mm. But you, boy, you young, you black and you a male, you got three strikes against you. Mm -hmm. Now what happened from a little boy, I'm almost 59. How has the discourse changed to such an extent to where now black men are perceived as participating in patriarchy, which is a secret cabal that affords privileges to men 
right. just the virtue of the fact that we have fallacies. Like what? Like what? Why, why do you see all of the extrajudicial killings happening or the police killings happening mm-hmm. in large numbers? Why do you see such high levels of incarceration? Like why are we not talking about why? Why do we not have a, a open forum where we can talk about these things? Because if you if you look at the record, you'll see that it was like a black woman who had, who had to come out and talk about mass incarceration. Yeah. Yep. And she went out on the lecture circuit and sold her books for fifty dollars. <laughs> That's crazy, yo. I'm, I'm, just hit I'm not trying to knock her. I'm glad that she came forward mm-hmm. with the info because it did have an impact on sentencing disparities. Mm-hmm. But just think about it. Why can't black men come up and say these things about themselves? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm done, man. Like I, you know, I, I'm just <laughs> hurt, man. Like I'm seriously like this hurts. Mm-hmm. It's painful. Yes, of course. Yes. It is painful, man. But it just seems like we nobody acknowledges our pain. Mm-hmm. It's like DMX crying on the stage, man. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like we like this, it's this ridiculous yeah. that we have to bear all of this by ourselves. And then even we if we, as soon as we say anything, oh you're misogynistic, you're engaging in misogynoir, you're this phobic or that phobic. No, man, I'm in pain, man. We're mm-hmm. I, like I was before we went on air. I was talking to Dr. Johnson and I said, imagine going to the gym and all you work on every day is chest. You just work on nothing but chest. All you do every time you go in the gym, you step in there, you just work on chest. Mm-hmm. What is your body going to look like? What is the overall or general health of your, of your body going to be? We're part of a body politic of a black community, mm-hmm. but we're only focusing on one demographic or one set of, of persons within that community. It's that you can't just heal part of the body and think that you're going to have a healthy organism. You just can't go to the cardiologist. That's all you see. Mm-hmm. You need to go to a general practitioner and then you need to see the specialist based upon the prognosis of the general practitioner. But all we're doing is focus, focusing on one element of the community. And we're not doing anything at all to heal the entire community. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just sick of it, bro. I'm sick of it, man. I mean, Ron, you can go next. I just wanted to say this real quick. Out of faith, with all the situation I'm going through, as you can imagine, literally out of nowhere, saying you, your job is gone and I got a family, new kid. And like, I almost ended my life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And I actually do have a failed suicide attempt. But let me share this story real quick because I actually called out, I actually called out for help. Hmm. And y'all want to know what they referred me to? A women's and children's shelter. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So they literally have nowhere in because where I live in Williamsburg, Virginia. They they literally have nowhere in like a 50 mile yeah. um vicinity for me to go to get help. Right. So now that I find that out and I'm getting healed and I'm getting better, I'm gonna try to set something up. But let that sink in. How many other black men are like us, right? Mm. And 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 I came up with this. I felt Basically, black men suffer two ways. We suffer silently and unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again. We suffer, we suffer silently and unknowingly. And what I mean by unknowingly, right? For example, let's use sexual victimization. A lot of us, like even with the whole Boosie situation, right? Mm-hmm. The travesty about of all this is that these, these young boys were sexually assaulted. But like like, like I don't know how it was in your hood, Green Gorilla, but in my, where I grew up from, 
I didn't know that having sex with an older woman was assault or rape. Mm. So that means young boys who have the earliest sexual introduction than any other on demographic, right? They have they sex, then they're being, they're being sexualized, and then they're being sexually assaulted and raped, and they don't know it. Yeah. So then they go through their lives literally carrying sexual assault trauma in their bodies and in their minds and through all their life, and they're just literally suffering unknowingly. Mm -hmm. So and I, I want to bring light to this and say, look, man, you're exactly right, Green Gorilla. Like, we are hurting. And so many Black men are hurting and don't even know, they don't, they don't know why they are hurting, they don't know how they are hurting, and they can't even give language to their own pain. Mm -hmm. Well, more than that, they're actively attacked for trying to, you know. Um, and that's one of the things that, that I've been seeing in the last few years. The attempt to even develop the vocabulary has been responded to with vitriol, you know, severely so. Um, and we're not even talking, we're, we're talking intra-racially, so we're not even outside of the community yet. But these are the kind of issues that, that kind of go on. But, uh, you know, go yeah, ahead. I, I would ahead. say it, it's, you know, it goes back, and I said this when we started, you know, to how we are niggerized, okay? I mean, we are, we are basically told to stay in the nigger position. That is, we are we are we are we are conditioned to accept our lot in this world. Yeah. We are conditioned. We are we are told that it's normal, that our pain is normal, that what we go through is normal, that our status, our low status, you know, our short lives, that it's normal. And what we're dealing with, you know, within our community is is, is a, a deep entrenched levels of anti-blackness, internalized racism. We have to be honest with the fact that we have deeply bought into white supremacy. Yep. And it's reflected in how we regard black men. It's reflected in how many of us see ourselves. So to get back to the, the idea of being the prize, the prize ideology, the idea, the egoism and the arrogance that goes with that, directly refutes this type of liberalization. <clears throat> that is, it is a deliberate, it is a deliberate effort to knock down this idea that we are inherent niggers. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have arrogance. You have to have egoism. You have to be narcissistic as a black man to contend with the hostilities of this society towards black men. You have to contest that niggerized status. And I always I always point to, to Khalif Browder, the mm. young man, the Khalif Browder who committed yeah, suicide, yeah. who refused, who refused to accept the plea deal. Even though he was being brutalized on Rackers Island for three years, and even though he could have gotten out of jail, he chose not to get out of jail based on principle. I did not commit this crime. And I'm not going to allow you to niggerize me. And I'm willing to die in my effort to not be niggerized. 
And he lived with that until he, you know, he self-emulated. And I think that that's, this is the condition that, that, we're, that we're dealing with. And we have to be honest that, that black women have internalized high levels of, of anti-blackness when it comes down to black people, black men in particular, that they have Jim Crow attitudes towards black men. So it's like we're, we're in the 1930s, you know, black men walking down the street and, and you have to, you know, you see a white person coming down the street and what you do, you get on the other side of the street. And we're asked to we're asked to have that kind of dynamic with black women. Right? <laughs> because we, you know what? bro. <laughs> like, okay, I was watching uh, another brother's post who uh, was recently on the honest report, Raiz. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a discussion came up on his timeline about Republican motherhood. And the idea behind Republican motherhood was that since women during the American Revolution actually played a significant role in the victory of the the, uh, guerrilla American revolutionaries against the Brits, that they deserve some sort of place in civic society. Because, you know, prior to uh the you know the, the colonization of the new world a lot of people think that women are the ones that raise children it that wasn't the case men were the ones that raised children because women were perceived as being irrational they couldn't they couldn't handle the job so men were the ones that educated children mm-hmm. but this idea of republican motherhood took the place of the old position that women had and women began to educate their sons on how to be patriarchs on how to maintain their nation, on how to continue to support the freedom that they had won against the Brits. Mm-hmm. What is anything comparable to that going on in the black community mm-hmm. where, where women are raising sons to be warriors and to uphold the, the hard gains that we won? If you can consider winning the civil rights movement a, a win. Where where is the continuation of that fervor, that 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 soul? Where's the neo soul in our politics? I wrote yeah. an application on it, man. You know, you can go look it up if you want to. No, I, you you know, <laughs> I've said it. you know, I, I never expected it to be a hit. I, you know, it, it felt like David Hume said when his first book came out, stillborn from the press. But mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the whole point is. Where, why aren't our women teaching us and holding us down to be warriors to fight against this white supremacy, you know? Instead of blaming, instead of subjecting us to Jim Crow all over again. No, you know, I've already said, and I did a past show on this, I think black men are perceived as both concubines and serfs. You know, BGS is the one that talks about concubines. Um, and so to me, I added the serf part because at the end of the day, I think that whole notion of, uh, you know, being objectified on the basis, I mean, it's really a kind of, of you know, an appropriating of this conservative uh, traditional concept of man as provider. And it kind of mutates into this narrative of being a vehicle of, of, of status and material wealth uh, to women via our labor and our efforts and sacrifice. I think all of that kind of gets appropriated and redefined in a manner where we're seen as both servants uh, and sexual objects in and of ourselves. I think this is the narrative of where uh, and how black men have been perceived within the community. And that said, you have a percentage of men who have started to engage internationally and or, or check out of the process altogether. 
you know, and there are different ways of checking out. You can check out entirely from engaging in any type of relationship or check out to the extent where you just, you know, plan to remain a, a permanent bachelor, like uh, I think Dr. Neal. Uh, but those kinds of responses, you know, th these are in, these are I issues that black men are facing across class, uh, across, uh, you know, occupation. And they're finding new ways to respond to it, which is one of the reasons that the marriage rate is so low. Right. Yeah. Usually when you hear people talk about the marriage rate, what, what I'm hearing in mainstream culture is, uh, you know, well, you know, women are moving away from marriage because they're more independent. No, men have been moving away from marriage, particularly in the black community since the 1970s. When you started to really talk about, um, you know, no fault divorce, when you started to see a reframing of the family court system, when you started to see, uh, you know, these mechanisms coming into place that armed women with the capacity to control their own bodies, if we're talking about pharmaceutical or birth control options that men don't have, right? When you started to see all of these different things contribute to, you know, the advancement of women at the expense of black men in many respects, because we got, you know, uh, you know marginalized, we got uh, kind of pushed out of many different employment sectors. We saw in the 1970s, our whole, you know, blue collar uh, manufacturing labor class, kind of that whole industry move overseas. These kind of things dramatically impacted black men and black men's responses in many ways was to step back from that kind of framework. And it has only been growing in terms of that. Black men have stepped back in significant ways as far as that on the, simply because of the nature of the kind of structural changes that have positioned us in, into a, a framework where women are actually heads of household at this point in majority numbers in the black community. And that said, it becomes a dangerous ground for black men to engage because what, 80% of divorces are initiated by women? When I, when I, I marriages fail, these kind of things directly impact black male stability. But go ahead, Dr. School Hood Scott. My bad, I, my bad, you pause. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that for me, um, in my viewing of the situation broadly, I see our enemy as white supremacy. And what I mean by that, I see white supremacy functioning in such a way that it aims to basically divide and conquer. And so for me, I put more of an emphasis on what are the ways in which the system has is functioning and has been intentionally set up so that we fight each other as black people, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'll say pragmatically, like, and, I, and I'll talk about this before, like there's just, there's a, an attack on black relationships. So white supremacy thrives and works if we fight each other. So just for me, I just see, I see our enemy as white supremacy. No, I see, and I don't think that we differ on that, but the question becomes what happens when that very institution, white supremacy that you've identified has empowered your partner to be able to impact you at whim, see. So, so, that's, so that's the question yeah. I'm posing. It's not that every woman is going to take you to record and take half of what you have. It's simply on the basis that she can, and if yeah. she can, and she's come out of three generations of women who could and did. Where does that position black men, especially black men of means, where does that position you? What kind of strategy do you begin to develop in response to that? Like I've been in, you tell you about higher education. So I started in 1992, first year in college. I graduated with my doctorate in 2008, right? So we're talking about 16 years. Yeah. How much of that is available for somebody to simply take at whim? 
And what does that do to relationships? So I'm not disagreeing with you that white supremacy is the framework, but the question is, we're talking three generations deep into being empowered enough to strip your men of capacity. What does that do to relationships and what are men forced to do to protect themselves? That's the kind of question we're looking at. And those are the kind of things that I think many men have been answering with a stepping back. And that stepping back can take many different forms. Uh, and it's not necessarily out of hostility. It's really out of, a, you know, self-protection, you know, which is, I think, you know, part of the reason why, you know, even on this panel, I want to say there's, you know, there's three bachelors over 45 years old. I mean, if you went back 60, 70 years in the black community, that would be a rarity, you know, to some extent. But today, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, Maybe, guess I wanted to be married. Mm -hmm. and I wanted to have a partner who supported me and endorsed, and endorsed me in everything I did. Instead, I was told that, you know, you need to be brought down a notch. Wow. PhD ain't about shit. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, Every now and then, she would not, you know, try to assault me. I mean, that's just just the facts. Yeah. And then when she decided to pull the trigger, she felt like she could derail me. And, and for the most part, she was able to do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just keeping it 100. Like, I mean, it can happen. Like, I'm, you're one step away from everything that you have. Your entire floor can be removed from you. This did not used to be the case. But it is the case at the current moment. And so the question is, what can we do to discuss what we're going through such that the issues that we are going through can actually be heard and dealt with and contended with outside of the framework of the narrative that just basically paints us as the boogeyman? Yeah. That's, well, what, that's, that's all we want. We're not trying to disparage women because in, in, my, in my viewpoint, they're part of the organism of black life. Mm -hmm. They're part of the black nation. You can excise yourself from them but you still have to interact with them. They're your mothers. They're your sisters. They're your cousins. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're your nieces. You have to deal with these people. And I love my nieces. I love my sisters. I loved my mother. She's deceased at the current moment. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, the whole point is right now we, we tread on dangerous waters. That's, that's all I can tell you. And we want to be able to tread on waters that are not so turbulent. That's my yeah. viewpoint on it. Well, let me ask you this, though. When you talked about being derailed, and I know you're not going to be able to go into detail, which is fine. Can I? Let me just ask you this simple question. Did it require evidence in order for your career to be derailed in terms of whatever you were accused of? Did it at least require a process, evidence, an examination of the data or, or what was argued in terms of what you had done? Was any of that brought to bear before you were eliminated? Uh, to some degree, yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, I mean, just think about it, man. You find yourself in a precarious situation with a woman, man, and uh, all of a sudden you can be typecast as the bad guy uh, when all along, I'm just, you know, on my, on my dead mother's grave, man, I'm saying everything I'm saying to just be candid. I mean, like, just imagine somebody assaulting you uninterruptedly, not once, not twice, not three, not four, but five times. Mm -hmm. What kind of stress that puts on you as a man? First of all, it's emasculating. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could have beat this girl up really bad, man. But I, but but understand, the question I was asking was, did she have to leverage any evidence? You know, all she had to do was cry in front of the police, man. It was That's a, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Cry in front of the police. 
And what what she had done to me, she will never disclose. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The whole point is there's a system set up in place. The woman used to be a social worker for crying out loud. She knew exactly what she was doing and how she was doing what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that you need to bring a man down a notch because he feels too highly about himself because you don't have any self-worth about yourself because I feel like I'm the prize. I'm going to show you you're not a prize. You ain't shit but a nigger. So I, my, nigger, my nigger moment came from a woman. Okay. I'm just keeping it 100. Now, I, I, I'm not saying all women are like this. I'm not. Mm-hmm. But my nigger moment came from the home team. It didn't come from outside of the... It didn't come from the white folks, but although it did indirectly. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It did come indirectly. But it's I, white white supremacy by proxy. So I mean, at the end of the day, man, all I want to do is just spread love to brothers to let them know, you know, that everything that looks good ain't good. Especially when you're talking about academicians and all of this. We're we we're telling you right now, it's troublesome. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. hard road. Mm-hmm. There ain't no crystal star right here, man. Well, and, I want, oh, and those very persons who are so-called the prizes, you you heard you saw how those women attacked that dude. They attacked him and told him he was beta, he corny, he blah blah blah, he this, he that, he really ain't this. And then you hear all these other platforms where women, you know, they place themselves on a pedestal and perceive themselves as prizes. They don't have to do anything. All they have to do is just be pretty and be there. Mm-hmm. There has to be some sort of different role uh, 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 casting in our community so that we can learn how to help each other and really actually be helpmates to one another. But mm-hmm. at the current moment, it ain't nothing but about getting the bag. Mm-hmm. That I don't want to have to deal with people, man, and all they have in their mindset is, I got to get the bag. You got to provide for me and do what I need done and you don't come with anything other than your capacity to be able to do what I need to get done. Provide for me, my kids, and take care of me and my concerns. And that's what you're supposed to do as a man. Okay. It's like, where's the exchange? Where's the Proverbs 31? Mm. Where's the mutual, or where's the reciprocity? Because any relationship is going to be predicated upon mutual interest. It can't just be one-sided. It can't just be you're there. And you're creating a lot of discord, and that's acceptable. And but the, the the point is the dysfunction in our community, as it pertains to the current narrative or the paradigm associated with feminism, is that the locus of all the problems are the is the patriarchy, and we participate in it. When in actuality, the patriarchy is thundering down on our heads like a million bricks, day mm-hmm. in and day out. Mm-hmm. Cut us some slack, Jack or Jill. Mm-hmm. He said or Jill. I want to shout out BLS Holding, uh, Brandon, Aquateki for the support. Mister, appreciate that. Uh, final thoughts, gentlemen. Final thoughts. What observations can you share, um, you know, especially for other black men who are transitioning into the lives you're already living or, you know, looking to aspire in any kind of way? What What are your final thoughts about what you can you can add? I would say this for the, you know, the black men who are listening, especially the younger black men who are um, either contemplating um, pursuing higher education or are in uh, a higher ed track right now. um, You know, I want to encourage the brothers to 
um, to continue to go forward. Yes, um, what you've heard, you know, in this panel, um, you know, is, is 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 shocking. It's it's brutal. Um, it's it's reality. You know, I mean, you know, walking up um, this this ladder, you know, of of, of you know, academia, uh, education, um, you know, careerism, and, and the like. It's it's a very difficult thing. And uh, I don't want these brothers to to be discouraged. I want them to um, to do everything within their uh, capacity uh, to um, you know arm themselves, you know, for the journey and for the mission. We need we need more uh, more thinking men, more men who are credentialed. We need more men who are going to be able to uh, to contribute to um, you know the transformation of black male life in this country. And you can't do that, and, and, and you know, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, sound elitist or anything like that. But you can't do that on the on the street corner. You can't do that um, if you're not uh, within the mainstream of this society, and you're contending with institutions. And educational institutions are a part of that fabric. Um, but but know that there are obstacles, and you can't overcome. And also. Um, to, to yes, revel in your achievements, revel in your accomplishments. Do not be apologetic uh, about celebrating, uh, you know, those milestones, whether it's a graduation from uh, a two-year school, graduation uh, from a, a four-year university with, a, with a, a BA, BS, what have you, you know, master's degree, law degree, PhD, you name it, you celebrate it. Do not let anyone diminish um, your accomplishments. Do not allow anyone to niggerize you, uh, and, and do not accept it. That's that's what I want these brothers to 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 embrace. Do not accept niggerization. All right. You don't accept it from white folks. You don't accept it, accept it from black people, Latinos, anybody. You don't accept it from anyone. It is unacceptable. And and so I want to encourage um, the brothers who are listening to continue to move on. Uh, continue to study and read, grow, and become, you know, the exceptional, beautiful black men that you are. Uh, Green Gorilla, go ahead. Uh, you know, hey, um, the only thing I can say is one one word, persevere. <laughs> and, and keep your nose clean and uh, watch your step, man. Just, uh, you know, only engage in those pursuits that are of noble character, man. Mm. And, uh, you know, understand the pitfalls that, that exist in front of you and avoid them. And mm -hmm. it, just, just be careful, brothers. I mean, you know, like I said, we are one move away from being put back on the plantation. Mm. Understand it, be aware of it, but you have to continue on. There is no stopping. Mm. You have to persevere. Okay. Okay. Good scholar. I'll just say, first of all, I'm just honored to be here, fellas. Like, y'all some smart dudes. <laughs> so, man, like, I just, I've learned a lot from y'all. I really appreciate you, Dr. Johnson. And, like, um, and so just so people watching this, I laugh at times, and sometimes I laugh um, out of, like, laughing to me doesn't automatically mean that it's a joke. So, no, um, I get you. Yeah. Get no, you. I'm just talking about because a lot of people misunderstand me. So sometimes I laugh to deal with pain too. So if I'm laughing, it's not that I think it's funny. Um, 
But um, that also, Dr. Johnson, I really appreciate you, brother. And I set it up that way to say that, like, real talk, and Green Gorilla, you know this from where we from. I could be dead or in jail right now. And so, yeah, like, if it takes us being saying it, being saying that we're the prize, the to, to build us up and to, to acknowledge all the we've been through to even be here, like I'm the prize then. And then also I'll just say to everybody watching this to, to black men, especially so like y'all know y'all heard it say, don't believe the hype. I would say this, don't believe the lies. Don't believe those lies and those myths about black men. They aren't true. If you want to know about a black man, actually talk to a black man and look. And for other black men, look, yo, fam, let's build each other up, yo. For black men to other black men, we mm -hmm. all we got, yo. We got to build each other up. We got to mm -hmm. and, and talk to somebody and, and be willing. Like, don't suffer silently. If you found somebody, I mean, even if you don't know me, if you need to DM me and talk to me, open up. Don't keep suffering silently. Don't keep suffering peacefully. Go ahead, share your pain. Because as you can see from this, we we all in this together, yo. Mm -hmm. I love black people. So well, I'm going to keep it brief um, because I held you brothers longer than I had planned to. But, you know, I, I was digging everything. I was hearing so much uh, that I, I had a hard time. <laughs> managing. So I apologize. But I will say just very briefly, um, at the end of the day, I think my philosophy has become over the years to go where you're celebrated and go where you're supported. And I really want to extend that to black men as a whole, but especially black men in the academy, you know, again, often siloed, often off to themselves, often having to work with no support, no real support. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, find where you are supported, find where you are, are, are advocated for, and definitely where you're celebrated and build in those spaces. Because at the end of the day, there's really nobody coming for us, but each other. So reach yeah. out to your brothers. I, I, I want to extend that, you know, um, if there's a, any way I can be of help, uh, you know, you can hit me up You can go to my website, www.thhassanjohnson.com. Um, and you can email me from there. But at the end of the day, we're pretty much all we got. And and at, and if we can actually begin to give each other uh, solutions, give each other things, tips and things that have worked for us to benefit us and to pull us out of certain problems, definitely take heed to that. Uh, there's a wealth of black men, particularly here on YouTube, that have been doing just that. So I want you to, you know, actually take the time to look them up. You know, I'm thinking of BGS. I'm thinking of Valdez. I'm thinking there's a, a, a you know a list of brothers that have been you know, extremely instrumental, definitely Green Gorilla. Check it, that brother out. Um, you know, if, see if you can follow Hood Scholar on, on uh, Facebook and pick up uh, the books that I, I talked about that Dr. Neil wrote, uh, in particular, Democracy in the 21st Century and the upcoming Beyond Death in Jail. Uh, look into his works, look into his academic papers. Um, but y'all know how I like to close it out. So I'm here to tell y'all, we are not criminals by birth perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support, wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, 
and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. All right, peace, y'all. Peace. Peace.